Hello, everybody. Welcome to All In. I'm everybody one to Eric and Seth. Seth, 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 are you okay? I'm Sethany and game good. Dude, dude, you've clearly been playing Sethany a lot. Which, I mean, it's, uh, I understand it's the latest game from your favorite indie developer, Analgesic, and we're doing a whole indie showcase on it this week, but come on, snap, snap out of it, man. Come on, we got a show to do. Uh, Onyx, music, par- parkour. Uh, yep, 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 he's fully gone, ladies and gentlemen. Mm. Okay, looks like I'm going to have to play his little game if I want to connect with him. I'm going to have to engage my Onyx and link with Seth. Let's do this. Oh, hey, Eric. Nice to meet you here in the swirling black void of Onyx. What are you doing here? Dude, you are totally out of it in the real world. You've been playing way too much, Stephanie. We have a show to do. Besides, that isn't the only game that came out this week, you know? It's not. Uh, what, are you, what are you talking about? What's more important than Stephanie? Eric, what's more important than research? Seth Pickman 4 came out this week. Looks like the Nintendo Pals are going to be getting a lot of fantasy points for it to grumble, grumble. But we're counting down the top five minions in Nintendo history to celebrate its release. Pikmin 4 is finally here, and it's been way too long. Let them have Pikmin 4, Eric. It's not as good as Stephanie anyways. It's not as good as research. Research, research. Yeah, you would say that. Okay, but how about this? We're chatting with special guest Mono from Tokyo Game Life this week about how Pikmin 4 has just absolutely taken over Japan. That's some serious Dandori on Nintendo's part over there in Tokyo. (sighs) Come on, man. Snap out of it so we can start the show. Dandori means efficient planning, right? Is that anything like putting together puzzle pieces during an Onyx Link and Stephanie in the the name of research? Yes, 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 it is in fact, yes, done. Oh, oh, what just happened? All right, Seth, we're linked. Are you finally ready to put Stephanie down for two seconds and start the show? Oh, yeah, yeah, sorry. Yeah, I think we should probably do that. I, I, yeah, I think I've researched all I can research. Uh, It's time to go all in. That's right, everybody. In the name of research, we are here with another episode of All In, a Nintendo podcast, the weekly Nintendo variety show where each and every week, no shells left unturned, no point is left unearned. Got a good show lined up for you today. Pikmin 4 is out. We're here. We're celebrating. More importantly, though, Stephanie is out, and we're here and we're <laughs> celebrating that, too. Uh, super happy to be here with you today. And uh, Eric, you know how we kick off our show every week, my friend. Yes, I know exactly how we kick off our show. We have to research our mm. very own patrons. We do. And real real quick, uh, huge shout-outs to Fulia, who came in, joined the Discord, Foolish Fuji in the Discord. Uh, great person, great friend. And she, shi- yeah. uh, she signed up for the free trial 
over there on patreon.com slash all in podcast. She signed up for the, uh, the free trial to the golden banana tier, which you can do over there and get access to everything like all in side quest and the $2 hero cast. And she, uh, said that she has been quite enjoying the content over there. So big thanks to you pay her to say that. Yeah. No, no. Big thanks to you, uh, Fulia, for, for signing up for, for that free trial to the Golden Banana Tier. Hopefully you stick around. Hopefully, uh, you know, I, I like to think for, for two guys, we do all right. So, yeah, free trial over there. You can check it out for yourself. Uh, see, see what we do over there on Patreon. But, yes, of course, there are a bunch of people who are already over there. So let's thank those Golden Banana Tier patrons like Fulia at her seven-day free trial, including Rob Yapel, Third Strongest Mole, Sean, Sean O'Baggins, Ashton, Tim A, a.k.a. Neoprime33, a.k.a. Nintendo Dad Number 4, Matt, Shy Guy City Murray, Phelan Ward, Bill Tucker, Marcus O'Neill, Liam D, Bowza, Gamer Jason, and Andrew Wilkins. Big thanks to our Golden Banana Tier supporters. Moving into our Triforce Tier, dun Thanks so much to Josh Vaughn, the godfather of Tingle Love Tuesday, John Datfast Cummins of the Retrologic Podcast, as well as the On Topic Retro Podcast, the Globetrotten Jet Set Nintendo Hub and Sparky of the Nintendo Hub over on YouTube, Adam Caparello of the Retro Groove Podcast and Octorock1982 on YouTube, Shy Guy, the other half of our Shy Guy Mod Squad, thank you Shy Guy, Daniel Hinojosa, Dan and Luma, Solo Something, and the legend himself. I wasn't able to think of something clever to tie into Pikmin 4 yet, but Uncle Randy! Uncle Randy, that's right. Thank you very much, Uncle Randy. Love you, Uncle Randy. Thanks to everybody for your continued support. Thanks, Fulia, for signing up for that seven-day free trial to the Golden Banana tier. Uh, we, we appreciate you very, very much. One of the all-time great smiles. I, I always say that about Fulia. She's got a great smile, man. And um, and I, I'm, I'm happy to have her here as part of the, the Patreon All-In Army. Thanks very much, Fulia. Thanks to everybody who supports us over there. Uh, Eric, we have people that throw bones our way for our, for our hard work, and that's very appreciated. But We do. You can we get also, all kinds of different support. That's true. That's true. There's also ways you can support us entirely for free uh, by dropping some words, by leaving five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, and Audible. That's a very like free, easy, and appreciated way to show your support for us and to help us climb the ranks of the Nintendo uh, podcasts out there. If you haven't done that yet, please go ahead and hit it just like an anonymous user did over on Spotify. We did get a new five-star rating over there on Spotify. So whoever is doing that, whoever left that this past week, you know who you are and we see you and we appreciate you. You are appreciated just like Tupac said. So I, I, you know, I appreciate you for doing that. Um, so we yeah. do. And thank thanks you to, very much. And thanks to you in the future listening to this now for doing it while you're listening for going on to your podcast service that you're listening to us on right now and, and reviewing us over there. Wow. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate that. Reviewception. That's right. And Eric, real quick, a little bit of knock, knock, knock housekeeping. Housekeeping. <laughs> um, we have uh, a fantasy league update, uh, which I we feel like do. y'all are going to, y'all are going to be hearing a lot of fantasy critic stuff in the next few weeks. Cause a lot of games are coming out, Eric. Yes, they are. We've had just a couple over this past week that have come out. But, yeah, you you know, it's not time to panic, all in faithful. Everything is going to be fine. However, the dastardly Nintendo Pals may have taken a bit of a lead with this latest point update. Yeah, so Pikmin 4 just came out. 
And, you know, here's the thing. Like, Pikmin does well, usually. But to be honest, the reason we didn't draft it is because we're like, okay, you know, it's probably going to do fine. Like, it's probably going to do pretty well. High 70s, low 80s. That's where Pikmin usually kind of lands. Pikmin 1 sitting here with an 81 uh, on Open Critic. Pikmin 2 with an 80 on Open Critic. And hang on, I'm pulling up Pikmin 3 here live. What's Pikmin 3 sitting at? Where are you at, Pikmin 3? An 85 on Open Critic. So Pikmin 3, up until now, is the highest rated um, you know, Pikmin game on Open Critic. And so I thought for sure this was going to kind of be somewhere in there. Somewhere in that like kind of you know mid to high 70s, low 80s kind of range. But no, yeah. it is currently at an 88 on Metacritic, which, uh, or sorry, on Open Critic, which I think is like higher than most people thought this was going to hit at. So. Well, I think it was also the Nintendo Pals like second pick or something. It was. Yeah. Uh so, you know, if, if they hadn't drafted it like second or third, we probably would have picked it up. Uh but uh yes, you know, at the time we really thought that and still do absolutely think that Hollow Knight Silk Song is going to be uh an absolute review monster. But they yeah. were able to to swoop in and get Pikmin 4 before us. And that uh, did wind up giving them a nice little chunk of change there, which they are certainly going to need come the end of the year when we inevitably, uh, inevitably come back and smash their faces in. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll, we'll see how it goes. Uh, they've got that. Um, next week, we have Double Dragon Gaiden, Rise of the Dragons coming out. We've also yes! got uh, Disney Illusion Island coming out next week. I'm very hopeful for both of those. So we'll also uh, update y'all when we have review scores on those. But yeah, a lot of, a lot of movement going on in fantasy critic land this week. So <laughs> I'm looking forward y'all. to it, especially now that we've put in putting now that we have put the punishments out there now that people are actually seeing what is going to be happening what's to the losing team exactly what's at stake here it's making it all the more tantalized and all the more exciting can't wait to see those darn nintendo pals with their vroom in the night sky you know punishment stream with, with their whatever, costumes on yeah with whatever <laughs> extra uh thing they have to deal with while playing the worst game on the switch yeah uh, Oh, it's going to be a ton of fun to watch them. Yeah, it's it's looking like costumes so far, man, in, in, in terms of our community anyway. At the end of the month, we'll pull all the votes and, and we'll announce what, uh, you know, what, what the loser is going to have to be subjected to. But costumes are, are winning here in the all-in community, at least. Yeah, uh, there's still some time margin. to vote if, you've, if you want to jump in and you want to vote on the punishment. Uh, there's still plenty of time for you to jump in and do that over the yeah. next week. What's at stake here? You can uh, give the losing team the one chip challenge. You can do it so that they had, they're forced to play the entire stream. They're forced to beat the game wearing oven mitts and you can do it so that uh, they have to wear the most embarrassing costume possible. So if you're still interested in voting on that, voting is still open until the end of the month, jump in the discord for both communities and check it out. Yeah. That's, that's another thing too. You can technically, if you join both communities, then you can technically get in two votes so that is that is absolutely allowed. So either, you know, if you're listening to this, you're already in our Discord. If you're not, what are you doing? Go ahead and join up. Links are in the show notes. And uh, and you can join over into the Nintendo Pals uh, Discord as well and get a vote in there too. There so, we go. Yeah. We just told you how to put your thumb on the scale. Go ahead. That's right. 
That's right. Cool. Well, uh, that's all the housekeeping I've got. Eric, what has been going on in your world this week, my friend? Oh, well, it, dude, it's been an absolutely nuts week. Um, I have very nearly forgotten what sleep was. It's been a heck of a thing. But somehow I've been able to get everything that I need to get done and still retain some semblance of lucidity. Uh but I have been able to put some time into video games this week. Obviously, Seventy came out this past week. We are featuring it this week in our indie showcase. So stay tuned for a much bigger deep dive into that. However, that's not the only thing that I've been playing. I have slowed down a little bit on Mortal Kombat. Slowed down just a little bit. But we are actually recording this uh, before... Mortal Kombat's big San Diego Comic-Con panel where they have already teased multiple new announcements. So I'm sure I'm going to be right back into my Mortal Kombat fervor this weekend. Uh, but did, at least for a couple of days, did come off of that at least a tad. Been playing a little bit more pinball, but I actually rolled credits on two new games this week. One of which I have been working on on and off for quite some time actually since before tears of the kingdom came out i finally actually no joke rolled credits on Mega Man battle network this past week i've uh, been working on that for for some time obviously had to put that on the back burner when legend of zelda came out and i went back to it you know a couple times just trying to to knock it out it was a little bit of a I don't want to say a chore necessarily because I'm still very glad I played it, but it uh, it it made it very hard for me to have a good time in the back half of the game. I will say like the last stretch, because if you've ever played a Mega Man game, you kind of know like the last stretch of the game. Uh, they, they, they did a, a kind of an interesting take on the whole traditional you got to go back and fight all the bosses thing again. They didn't do that necessarily, but they did something pretty cool. And I actually... Uh, I actually thought the final stretch was 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 really cool. It was really interesting, uh, but I am I am very interested to to check out the second one, despite uh, a single massive misgiving that I have with the first one. But overall, like the the character designs are really good. the 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 battle system I think is a ton of fun. They're like the especially the optional bosses that you can fight. They're super fun. They kicked my but they absolutely kicked my butt, but it was so much fun learning those patterns and timing and stuff like that. And uh, I, I like the episodic structure of the game. There's a lot that I really, really enjoyed from the first game. So as the series goes on and they figure out this whole environmental design problem, I'm, I'm very, very excited to see what the rest of the series has to offer, but did finally do something that I've been wanting to do for a very long time and actually played through fully a Mega Man Battle Network game. So very excited about that. Also played through a game this week that we were initially very excited for, Seth, you and I, and then we were cooled off on it quite a bit because of the payment structure of it. But mm. then the publisher, after a few seasons of content, decided that it really wasn't going to be worth supporting the game that way. So what Square Enix eventually did is they released Chocobo GP, as it should have always been released, frankly, as just a single purchase game, all content inclusive. 
so they did that a couple weeks ago. I actually picked up the physical copy off of Play Asia, and I've been playing a lot of Chocobo GP this week, Seth. Nice. Uh, played through the entire story mode, which is only a couple hours long. I think it's uh, a prologue in nine separate chapters, each with a, each with a couple races in it. But yeah, I mean, it's it's not Mario Kart 8 Deluxe, of course, but I'm, I'm actually really enjoying it. For all intents and purposes, it's effectively a reboot of the PlayStation 1 Chocobo Racing, which uh, I didn't own the actual game for that, but I did have a demo disc. And I will say, I genuinely put as much time into that demo disc as I did some games that I owned. I played the mess out of my Chocobo Racing demo disc back on the PlayStation 1, and I was really excited for, for Chocobo GP. Uh, and now that, you know, now that you can just buy the game all-inclusive, uh, I was really, really excited to finally jump in and check it out for myself. And as you might imagine, given that they went through six or seven some odd seasons before they stopped supporting the game, there's actually a ton of stuff in the game to unlock. An absolute metric ton of stuff in the game to unlock. A couple dozen different costumes just for Chocobo, colors, and a couple dozen different extra characters. The actual roster is, I I think, nearing like 40, 50 characters, playable characters, each with multiple different carts and multiple different colors, multiple different costumes. And I do wish there was a couple more tracks in the game. There's ultimately 26 tracks in the game. There is a mirror mode, though, so that does help quite a bit. Uh, but I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's really cool being able to see these kind of cutesy versions of classic Final Fantasy characters like Moogles and Chocobos and Sid and Ifrit and Shiva and Ramu and like all the classic Final Fantasy trope characters. You got a behemoth in there. Uh, Leviathan's actually in there as a cart, which is hilarious. Um, but yeah, played through that. I had a ton of fun. I, the, the story mode's very chatty. As a matter of fact, our boy Sean Chiplock is in uh, voices one of the characters. Nice, uh, but yeah, that was exactly how I uh, how I always wanted to experience that game. And the online actually works really well. Oh, you good. have the the eponymous Chocobo GP mode, which is effectively like a tournament style. Uh, you jump in with I think thirty one other players and you play qualifying races and you know the bottom half get uh the bottom half get uh eliminated at the end of every race and you basically just race until the the champion is crowned it's you know a very traditional style tournament slash battle royale mode and it's that's a ton of fun but you can also do standard online play with friends or with randos uh they've got their own uh cups that you can race through. You can do custom cups and there's, there's quite a bit here to like, and and it's a game I'm probably going to be playing quite a bit. So if you were really turned off by, uh, if you were really turned off by the payment method and the payment model for Chocobo GP with its ridiculous amount of microtransactions, I completely understand. I didn't touch the game either because of that, but now you can buy the game all inclusive And you can, as you're racing, you can unlock item tickets and gill, which allows you to unlock all the stuff that was previously basically like pay to play only. 
I will say it's it's probably going to take you a long time to unlock some of that stuff. Uh, I do wish it was a little bit cheaper within the game, but I am very glad that they have completely removed microtransactions from from Chocobo GP. Thank you, Square Enix. Yeah, that's a good move. I'll uh, I, I kind of want to check it out myself now. It might be it might be too late for me. The ship may have been may have already sailed. I completely understand me, if that's the but, case. I completely. Yeah. I think it might actually be on sale though. It's normally sixty dollars, which I think is still a little bit too price restrictive for some people. Yeah. But I believe, as of this recording, the going through this weekend, I believe it's twenty five. Uh, okay. That's not so bad. I mean, there's there's a pretty uh, substantial Square Enix sale yeah. going on, so that, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of big stuff going on this weekend, a lot of it because of SDCC. Uh, but yeah, if, if you were interested in checking it out, you know, maybe do just that. Maybe do just that. But I'm glad that uh, they made the change, and I'm enjoying myself, thankfully. But that's about it for me, sir. I know that I know you said you didn't have any more housekeeping, but I know you were actually up to something this past week. Uh, I know you had a little bit of uh, diversion this past week. Oh, oh, yeah. Well, the yeah, we do the the critical diversions uh, games club. Our friend, uh, I, I don't really advertise it here on the show too much because I don't know how much like uh, attention he wants on it. Um, or if he like, if he wants like the energy behind it, but, uh, but yeah, critical diversions is the, uh, our, our friend, Matt Murray, shy guy yep. city, who, uh, has been on this show many times. He's one of the moderators of our community and he's a, he's a good friend. And, um, he, he did this magazine last year that I wrote a piece for called critical diversions. And he sort of started his own like, uh, games club. Uh, another community member and uh, and friend Andrew Wilkins is also a part of it, and so it's basically just like yeah, play a game, link up and talk about it, sort of thing. And um, I, I think like it's one of those things where like if you're interested, like you, you gotta commit to it. You know, you can't just yeah. like show up and not actually engage with it. But he'll let pretty much anybody in if you want to message him or or whatever if you're interested in in that sort of thing. Um, so, so yeah, we, we did that this past week. We do that a couple times a month usually. And, uh, we started our Matt started recording the sessions. Um, the past few sessions have been recorded. I think this was the fourth recorded session. This one was on Alan Wake. So yeah, we, we did that this past week. That was, that was pretty cool. Um, that was, that was nice to talk to people who, you know, I've experienced that game for the first time. But yeah, we, we've done a bunch of those. Next one will be on Stephanie, as a matter of fact. So that would be cool. Um, but yeah, other than that, yeah, I mean, like, Stephanie has been the big thing uh, for me this yeah. week. Um, we're obviously going to be talking about it quite a bit here in just a minute. Um, but I, I wanted to point people to the YouTube channel. I did a... Um, uh, big shout outs to uh, Analgesic who passed along a code for us and gave us early access to the game. Um, allowed me to do a full playthrough of the game well in advance of the release this week. And what it also allowed me to do was kind of make like a video. A lot of times I'll make a video for the channel that's like, here's the first, you know, 45 minutes or an hour of the game or whatever. And I'm kind of experiencing it blind. But for Stephanie, I was able to do kind of a guided, like informed video 
uh, to kind of tell people like why I think they should play it, which is also what we're going to do here on the podcast, I guess. But it was nice to be able to like showcase it in in motion and, and to really kind of like show people why I think the game is so special. So uh, that's on the YouTube channel. If you want to actually see, you know, what the game is like in motion, I've got kind of a guided little gameplay video on there. Uh, and big thanks again to, uh, to Analgesic for passing along that code. Uh, I, I like the game a lot. Um, <laughs> it's, it's one of my favorite games of the year, uh, for sure. And we're going to talk about that quite a bit more here in a second, but the other game that I want to shout out and really the only other thing that I've played this week is a uh, Frank and Drake, uh, which we got from our friends at chorus worldwide. So thank you to them for passing along the code. There's also going to be a video on the YouTube channel for that, where I played through the game's first like day. Uh, effectively. And this is a really interesting, like, I guess you'd call it a point and click adventure visual novel sort of thing. Um, the setup of the game is you play as two characters, Frank and Drake, go figure. Um, one of them, Frank and all. (laughs) Yeah. One of them, Frank is like the, the like super of a rundown, like, uh, like apartment building. And, um, he's got like some, some weird supernatural stuff that's happening to him and he thinks he's like losing his mind. The other playable character, Drake lives in the apartment and, um, and she actually, they, they don't really go into it too much, but apparently she's allergic to sunlight I don't know if she, like, is a vampire or... I don't, I don't know. Like, I don't know what the actual, like, thing is with that. But in any case, she can only go out at night. Um, so she is, like, nocturnal. And they essentially communicate to each other via, like, sticky notes. And you play through days in the life of these two people as they're trying to figure out the kind of weird and supernatural things that are happening to them. Um, an interesting kind of thing about this game, I think probably the most striking thing about the game is the visual style. Uh, the game's beautiful. Um, it is like, it's it's rotoscoped, but it is kind of like this interesting, like, the the way everything sort of moves. Like, it kind of reminds me of like that famous Take On Me music video. Like, oh, from Aha, uh-huh. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, just the way that things kind of like are always kind of moving and like the pencil sketch, it's it's really vibrant and colorful, but like, I don't know, like there's something about like the the way it all kind of moves and feels that, that reminds me of that. Uh, it's a beautiful game to look at. Um, there, it's like a point and click, like kind of puzzle solving thing too that kind of reminds me uh, a little bit of when the past was around. Um I don't know. It's it's striking. It's it's a striking game. I'm looking forward to playing more of it. It seems like there's going to be like multiple endings and branching paths. You can actually look at this journal that shows kind of like the the different ways that a day can play out based on your choices. Um so, I don't know. It's it's a really interesting game. I'm looking forward to playing more. Um check out the video if you want to see it in motion. It's worth just looking at. Like just visually alone, it is worth seeing. Uh, in motion. So Frank and Drake, pretty, pretty cool little game. I know it's a really busy, you know, release a couple of weeks here with like Pikmin 4 and Stephanie and all the stuff coming out. But, uh, but Frank and Drake is a, is a cool little game. And I know people have worked pretty hard on that. So check it out. Indeed. Yeah, indeed. All right, but Eric, <laughs> it's time. It's time to talk some Stephanie, my friend. Um, I've been looking forward to this for a long time. This has been one of my most anticipated games of the year. Uh, you know, analgesic, I've made no secret. 
It's my favorite independent developer. The game came out in 2021, I think, on PC, and we've been patiently waiting for it to come to Switch. It finally is, and I'm so thrilled to say that this week, our indie showcase is Stephanie. So, Stephanie, for those who don't know, Analgesic is... Uh, let's just say their games are experiences. They are, they're, they're weird, man. They really are. I, I, I don't say that as a bad thing. It's very surreal. It's very intentionally bizarre, but man, they, there's like, there's a mood that really only they can nail. I agree with that. Um, it's it's a loaded statement because, like, Stephanie, I think, is in a way one of their more grounded games. Um, it is. I think that, you know, Stephanie, while, while even the ocean begins by saying, like, hey, this game takes place in a world that is, like, very similar to yours and everything, Stephanie actually takes place in in this world. Now, it is a fantastical sort of version of this world, but the the characters are from real places and the titular Sephany Island is a, is an island off the coast of Taiwan um, where where the game sort of takes place. You play as three uh, researchers, Ryo, Ingwen, and Amy. And uh, they are researchers here that are sort of through a sequence of events, uh, shipwrecked on Sephany Island. And as they wait for help, to uh to to rescue them they take the opportunity to research the island its flora its fauna and fungi and um it's uh yeah it's it's kind of a melding of a lot of interesting and disparate genres with a very non-traditional control style um you would call it a 3D platformer maybe but you wouldn't be entirely correct in calling it that either um, yeah, I've, I've never, I mean, as is the case with all of their games, I've never played anything exactly like it. And that's what I love about it. Well, 3d platforming, you know, traversal, uh, is one of the, the big gameplay, uh, elements here. It's certainly not the only gameplay element at play. Uh, and we'll talk more about that, but just in terms of, you know, just the setup and the narrative, uh, the setup and the narrative is in addition to being researchers, these researchers have this technology, I guess. I don't know if it's, it's like half technology, half supernatural or something, but it's called Onyx and essentially what it allows them to do. It allows them to form some type of link. Uh, It allows them to link directly with uh, like the flora and fauna on the island and to connect with them on it's like at a, a a mental level, a spiritual level. I don't know. Uh, It's, it's purposefully vague on that point, but uh, one thing that does happen is through these links, the different organisms that link together are able to like kind of co-mingle DNA a little bit. So that's also at play here. There's a lot of, mm, it's, I felt like this would be a lot easier to describe before I actually tried to describe it essentially, which I feel like is 
fairly commonplace for most of their games. But uh, but without giving away too much, the island itself plays a very direct role in the narrative as well as these three separate researchers who you wind up, uh, you, you play as one at a time, but you can choose whichever one you want to play as, whether you want to play as uh, Ingwen or Amy or uh, was it Rio? Rio? Yeah. Rio G? Mm-hmm. Uh, Rio. Yeah. Rio. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's the whole thing is they wind up shipwrecked. They're waiting essentially for rescue. And then without spoiling too much, like things happen, things happen. And some of it is, you know, big picture and high stakes. And some of it is incredibly intimate and incredibly introspective. The game obviously uh, has something to say. And when it comes to analgesics writing, I got to say, like, nobody sets a mood like them. Like, nobody's writing like them either. Let me just, one of the instances, this is the type of writing that we have in this game, ladies and gentlemen. They describe a border, like a nation border, as an invisible line metastasized into a black, dark abyss. And it that like that lie just stopped and you're like, whoa. <laughs> and it, yeah. it it can be pretty heady. It can be very thought-provoking. Uh this is not a a first grade reading level type game. Uh and arguably sometimes maybe a little too smart for its own good. But uh it's it's the type of dialogue and the type of narrative that you're not going to see from anybody else. If you like if you like a very cerebral type of story, then you really should be checking out analgesics games. Well, the, the framework of the game, I think, um, is, is why the, the writing is sort of justifiably heady because the, um, you know, the, the game is, is sort of a a bunch of different pieces. And one of those pieces is sort of a visual novel, very, uh, written word heavy thing. Um, this, this has much more, much more writing than any of their other games. And, uh, it's a good thing that the writing is, is excellent, um, throughout really, really, really strong and has, yeah. And has a lot to say about, Things like race, things like, uh, yeah, like political structures. This is a game that was very clearly developed during the pandemic. Um, and it's got a strong, strong commentary on that as well. Um, it's got things about, you know, what kind of world are you leaving behind for your children? Um, it's got all kinds of things to say, but the core theme of the game is connection. Um, there's a line early on. Um, a piece of dialogue early on that says nothing calls into question what you are quite like meeting someone entirely different. And I think that line perfectly sums up Stephanie. Um, it is all about linking with this Island and also linking with each other. Onyx is not just this implant, this like dark, you know, implant with these scientists that is like experimental technology, um, which is, you know, used in linking with, with flora and fauna and stuff in order to get an understanding of them. You also like, yeah, you connect to like their spirit. You can talk to them. You learn about them, not just 
on a research level, but on a personal level. And beyond that, like the game says, like Onyx isn't just like a device, it's a meeting place, you know, and these people end up connecting to each other a lot over the course of the journey as well. These three protagonists and the, yeah, the the depth of that connection I think is central. And, And the game's got a lot to say about the ways in which like we are all, extraordinarily like separate and alone in all the ways that we are extraordinarily not as well all of our differences but all of our similarities too and um i I think it's i think it's really beautiful and something probably my single favorite thing that that analgesic always 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 does in all of their games is their central theme is sort of represented in every element of the game because like we can break down things like the you know the the platforming and 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 all these like gameplay implements but it's interesting that like research and linking ties into the theme of connection you're forming connections with things on the island and even the gameplay of the research is also about connecting pieces literally <laughs> you know i love that well uh, I mean, since we're talking about connecting the pieces, uh, a, a large part of the game is traversal. A large part of the game is 3D platforming, but there's another side to that coin and something that really helps break up. Uh, there's actually a really, really nice breakup in the game of visual novel style storytelling and traversal. And then the other leg of that tripod, which is the Onyx puzzles essentially whenever you get into whenever you link with one of the life forms on the island it goes into this uh grid screen and uh you'll you'll immediately notice like the tetronimo style shapes the thing is it's not just some rectangle that they're falling down no, you have specific pieces that you actually have to place on a very, uh, a very like not symmetrical at all kind of grid. You have to look at this weird oblong space, this weird oblong non-regular grid you have in front of you and try to figure out how to fit different pieces into it. And the crux of it is just like there are three different characters, there are three different colors of blocks. As a matter of fact, you'll notice early on that the characters themselves are kind of representative of red, blue, and green. You Mm -hmm. have these red, blue, and green blocks that you're trying to connect as many as you possibly can. And I'm sure most people listening to the sound of my voice have played some type of match three game. Uh, but it, this is a really, really interesting and really unique take on it. You essentially just continue to fit pieces into the grid until, you know, you can no longer fit pieces into the grid. And then you effectively choose to end that turn. And you, as long as you have effectively enough matched up pieces of similar colors on, in groups of three or more, you earn enough points to be able to continue essentially. And then over the course of several turns, you earn enough points or you fill up your bar enough to actually be able to complete the link to finish 
the link to finish connecting with whatever it is, uh, whether it's a bison or whether it's some weird, like alien looking lung thing. Yeah. Or, you know, like there, there are special key links, which are the only required links actually in the story. Mm -hmm. Um, you've got key links that are, you know, kind of the punctuating moments of the story, which are basically this game's like boss fights. Um, there's no combat in the game, but that's the closest you, you have to it. Um, and those actually are special links that'll give you, uh, abilities that you can use to further traverse the world, which is cool. Um, but I think the, the really nice thing about this is like, if it were just a cool, satisfying, simple puzzle game, and it is, that kind of would have been enough, but they also introduce a lot of different gameplay gimmicks. Every, like every thing that you link with has got some sort of mechanic to it. Um, it's, it's really interesting and they, they do a lot of cool stuff with it. One might have like bacteria that shoots across the screen that deletes blocks. You know, one might have like rock structures that you have to arrange blocks next to, to remove so that you get more real estate. I mean, there are, you know, a couple dozen things that you can link with in the game and for them all to feel very different, I think is really impressive. Yeah. And I mean, it's not even just that, just the different, like every single one you're going to, every single thing you're going to connect with is going to have a different grid shape to it. And even the individual grid shapes themselves can make, uh, can add a lot of challenge to performing the connections. Some of them can have, uh, like some of them can be broken up into kind of multiple sections and actually trying to connect large groups of the same color could be challenging just because of the shape of the grid. But yeah, with each one of them, they're also going to be these little, not to say that these are necessarily very difficult. I didn't really have a trouble, a trouble. I didn't really have trouble doing any of them. Once you kind of understand what you're supposed to do, there's only three different colors of blocks in the game. Uh, So, you know, trying to connect ones of the same color isn't necessarily too challenging, but it is very dynamic and the, and it does actually make you think you can't just throw stuff onto the board because you will lose. You do have to put some thought into it, but for anybody who's scared at like puzzle games, who don't think they're intelligent enough, I'm an idiot and I didn't really have too much trouble with this. Uh, but I did like a lot of the wrinkles. I very much liked a lot of the wrinkles that they put into with the grid gameplay because yeah, like you said, Seth, there's, there's quite a few different things that they can throw in. Yeah, you've got that bacteria that goes back and forth. Uh, you've even got like bonus point sections. You have uh, little gimmicks that'll actually help you out. There's this weird thing that uh, 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 this weird block that if you surround it on all sides, it'll it'll disappear everything around it. You'll still get to keep all your points, but all of a sudden you have more real estate now to put blocks down to get even more points. So there's a lot of weird and interesting things they do with the gameplay. And just as just from a puzzle game standpoint, it's one of the more unique puzzle games that I've played in quite some time. And mm-hmm. I'd like I would very much like to play like the hard versions of this. Uh, yeah. But yeah, yeah, just but just that alone was is really cool and worth checking out, honestly. Yeah, it's and and I think another thing that that is maybe the most impressive part of that puzzle game is not only the amount of variety they get, but the fact that they never stop and explain it. 
You, they, they never stop and say, Hey, in this one, you have to do this thing. You have to figure it out and intuit it yourself. You have to actually put in the work to make a connection to these things, which I think is important. And it makes like, yeah, the, the puzzle of like determining where to place these blocks is one thing, but also the puzzle of determining how their like mechanics work is mm-hmm. another thing. And I think, again, it's, it's thematically appropriate to learning how to connect with a thing, you know, yeah. um, and, and learning to speak its language. And <laughs> I think that another language that you're going to need to learn how to speak is the platforming of the game, the movement, which I think is going to be Stephanie's most divisive uh, element. Yes, I think this is <laughs> I think this is where uh, Seth and I are going to disconnect a little bit when it comes to the gameplay. Um, I, uh, you know, having played the game myself, I think the game does really need to touch up how tight the controls are. Um, there were several traversal, uh, challenges that really shouldn't have taken me as many tries. And there is a wall run mechanic in the game that doesn't work nearly as well as it should. Uh, overall, I, I do think the traversal element of the game is by far its weakest aspect and may frustrate some people. I think it'll frustrate a lot of people. It's very non-traditional. It's very, um, it, it, you, you come into this game and it's, you know, it looks and moves like a 3d platformer and it's really not, it's more of a Tony Hawk game than anything else. To be honest, the game, the game reminds me of something like Tony Hawk or like, even like we've been talking about Prince of Persia a lot, you know, yeah. it reminds me of something like that where you have to, have a very measured it's it's one of those things where you have to like sort of plan out your you you can kind of see what you have to do and figuring out what you have to do and how how to traverse these areas is is part of it but you have to really sort of like think and plot out what you're going to do and how you're going to achieve it um i disagree i think that the game um i i think that the game actually feels really good um once you sort of again le- learn to speak its language when i first started playing the game mm-hmm. uh it was it was interesting cuz i i was struggling with things like you're talking about the the wall run how do i kind of get these these mechanics down you can uh basically you hold down the the right trigger zr on um on switch and your character just kind of starts going and sprinting in the direction that you're facing it feels <laughs> yes that's um, that 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 is a very important point in the direction they're facing so yes, yes do be aware of that because that one admittedly did get me and it occasionally does still get me yeah, like that, and it's it's the kind of thing, and and you know, and the game even says like think of it as a separate thing. Don't think of it as your traditional sprint in a normal game. What it, what it actually feels like is like the dash in Spyro, where in something like Spyro, you just dash ahead and you're just full steam ahead, and you can kind of control where you're going, but mostly it is a button to make you go forward quickly. Um, and that's something you have to wrap your head around, just like in games like that, just like in Tony Hawk, where you set out on your skateboard and you're going in that direction. You know, it doesn't 
feel the way you think it's going to feel. It doesn't feel like any other 3D platformer that you've ever played. When you are holding that um, ZR and you approach a wall at a what the game calls a glancing angle, um, you'll perform a wall run. You can jump off of that wall run. There is a reticle that appears when you're in a jump that will show uh, kind of your proximity to a ledge that you can dash into that you can that you then kind of like the game doesn't have a double jump, but you can sort of like mantle onto ledges by way of dashing into those ledges. Um, yeah, it's effectively like a little like wall kip up. Yeah, it's sort of like if in if Mega Man X like were in 3D and you could only do it once. Uh, aside for like special <laughs> occasions, yeah. like there, there, there are a couple things. Another thing the game is is really good about is there will be yeah like flora on the island that can affect your movement. There's a like a mushroom that'll grow on the wall that'll allow you to get additional yeah. jumps off of it and little flowers and actually it's interesting there there's flowers and and i actually kind of want to ask melissa marina if this connects in any way to even the ocean because there are just blue and purple flowers that even do the same thing that they do in even the ocean which is interesting um <laughs> so i i kind of want to ask them about that but um but but yeah like it's like i know it's going to be divisive i know it's going to be like the element of the game that you're either going to love or hate, but it kept reminding me of like how I've always felt about Kid Icarus Uprising, where I think it's easy to kind of like come at a game with non-traditional controls that, that doesn't control the way you think it should maybe. Um, but like, I feel like if you give it the time to kind of like grow and like, and learn with it, just like, the way you have to connect and the way that you have to learn these things and these people um, and learn how to speak its language. I think it actually controls really well to the point where after I'd beaten the game and I went back and made my video on the YouTube channel, I mean, mm -hmm. I was carving through it like a hot knife through butter. Like once I kind of knew what I was doing and, and I spoke the game's language, now I can play through it like with not a problem at all. And going back to some of the game's, areas that used to be really challenging to me now that I've learned and sort of mastered the game's skill set, uh, it feels great. So it's, it's interesting. It's non-traditional, but I, I encourage people to try to like, to, to give it a chance to, to kind of meet the game halfway. And even if you don't, um, the game has a lot of great accessibility options. See, that's what I was going to say is, uh, I, I still think the game just needs to be tightened up a bit, but absolutely to its credit, if you feel the need to adjust some things in terms of your movement, uh, the game does give you a pretty decent number of options to be able to do that. You can uh, 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 reverse both of your axes. Uh, you can change the uh, uh, you can change the. Uh, you can change the speed at which you turn because, you know, the game actually kind of feels a little bit like kind of quick tank controls, if that makes any sense. Uh, you can change the the speed that the cameras, there's actually a lot of different movement based things that you can tweak in the game, which I am very, very happy for. So yes, to the game's credit, it, if you are feeling that you need to tweak a few things, the game probably allows you to tweak what you want to tweak in that regard. 
Yeah, and I mean, even to the point where, like, if you just decide, like, hey, like, I hate the way this game feels and I don't want to engage with any of it, you can just mm-hmm. straight up turn on infinite jumps and infinite dashes. And if you yeah, just want... Yeah, that's true, to, you can. <laughs> I mean, like, if, if, yeah, I mean, if you want this to just be a story game, like, that's valid, you know, and... I think I think that's really cool. And even like the the puzzles, I didn't have a problem with the puzzles either until the last one. The last one's the only one that gave me trouble. Um mm-hmm. but uh but but you can even turn on an easy mode for that. And there's even accessibility options for that. So I, I think that they for for making a very, very unique and non-traditional game and probably the most demanding game uh mechanically of their entire repertoire, um, I think that like I, I think that they have offered like the the maximum amount of accessibility options uh, that they could for something like this, and I really commend them for that. I think it's I think it's smart because I, I do think that this is the kind of game that like should be experienced, but a lot of people could be turned off by if they make like a snap judgment on the way they feel about some of the mechanics. Yeah, uh, you talk about uh, being able to just bypass the puzzles. Another thing that I think is really cool is you said the only real like required connections, the only real required links that uh, you have to do within the game are the effective boss counter uh, encounters. Mm-hmm. However, I do really like how they've incentivized going after others. And that is uh, the blocks that you'll get, like the different tetronomos effectively that you'll get access to that you have to place on your grid. They are a mix of shapes and, colors and you actually get access to new blocks for each connection for each creature or plant that you link with and a lot of those uh make a lot of the puzzles quite a bit easier instead of just being uh instead of being like a um a four long uh, a four piece long block that's like half one color and half another color. It may be a piece that's just all a single color that makes it really easy to connect something to. And it may be something that fits incredibly well into a corner. Regardless, what I'm saying is, is there is really good incentive for going after the, uh, the non-required links because you'll get access to different blocks. that will probably make the required links a bit easier. Yeah. Yeah. And again, it's, it's, it just, it's what analgesic so good at is they've, they've made all the elements of the game feed into each other because the, the key links also will give you, yeah, like new ways to navigate through the world. You'll get the ability yeah. to kind of get a grappling hook a little bit, you yeah, know, there is, early like on. It's a, there is Metroidvania stuff going on here. Absolutely. Yeah. Which I think, I think that's really cool. It's like the, the reward is kind of just, you know, more, more Stephanie. Um, I think another thing that is, you know, I, I, I think the, the best that they've ever done, um, is the art and the music. I think Marina's art is yeah, the strongest the it's ever been. Um, for me, this is the best soundtrack that I've ever heard this entire year. Like, I didn't think I would like a game soundtrack more than Zelda's this year. Stephanie's soundtrack is an all timer. It is excellent. It is so it's good, good, but I'm not going to say that. Yeah. Well, you're wrong. Um, and I, <laughs> no, it's, it's, I love it. I, I think it's Melissa's best work. And, and I, I think that they all have, uh, I think all of their games have great soundtracks, but Stephanie, I think is his best work. Um, it's, it is it, good. It is really good. It's so, so strong. And yeah, Marina's art. I think that this is the best, 
you know, you can really see the growth of these people as developers from game to game. And Anodyne 2, I think, is a beautiful, like, low-poly, you know, Dreamcast PS1 looking thing. And and this is low-poly as well, but it sort of looks more like uh, it's got some light cell shading in there, especially on the character models. And it almost kind of looks like Jet Set Radio a little bit um, with, with the bit, character yeah. models. And... Uh, just the environment detail, because you you spend so much of your time uh, navigating like the interior of like the caves inside yeah. of Stephanie Island. Yeah, this is caves the game, and I was like, oh, it's just like Spelunky. That's why Seth likes it. It's uh, yeah, I mean, like, but the the stuff the the areas are so varied, like visually, and just yeah, the designs of the creatures and the plants and. You know, yeah, it's and some of the parts of the island get very interesting in terms of their design, but that's all I'm going to say about that. It's beautiful. Like just it's just a beautiful beautiful game. I mean, like I was just so impressed by like every element of it. And I and I came into this like intentionally kind of blind and not knowing much, and I mm-hmm. I wanted to sort of keep it that way until I had a chance to play the Switch version, but knowing, you know, what I knew about the gameplay, I thought that this might be one like, oh, well maybe this is the one that I'm a little lukewarm on. But like, no, like I I love this as much as the rest of their catalog. They you know, like they just have this way of creating unique experiences that don't feel like anything else. And like, I want to encourage people to give it a try. Like I, I want to encourage people to try out their games. Their games frequently go on sale. And I truly think that they're doing it unlike anybody else. And it's a shame that their games have never hit that mass audience like it's a shame that you know i love undertale but i'm like why why can something like undertale become you know so famous it's played for the pope but something like stephanie which has a real message to share a real thing to say about our real world and the life that we're living and the connections with people and you know why can't that be the kind of message that more people engage with you know so i don't know I, I want to encourage people to check out really their entire catalog, but I think Stephanie is a great entry into it. Yeah. And obviously with everybody going nuts with, you know, multiple releases this week, obviously in the world of video games, Pikmin 4 was the release this week. But, you know, even stuff like Barbie and Oppenheimer have kind of cried. Everybody's kind of losing their minds on that so much so that it was pretty easy this week for Stephanie to go under a lot of people's radar. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely really, really interesting game. And specifically, I would say if you are of Asian or Pacific descent, I think especially you would be, uh, I think you would be treated to, to playing this. It's got a lot of things to say about that. The characters are all uh, Taiwanese. Uh, Amy is Taiwanese-American. Ryu is Japanese-Taiwanese. And then Ingwen is is full Taiwanese. And they have a lot of... They come from different places. Amy is yeah. from Bloomington, Illinois. Ryu is from Tokyo. Amy is from... Ta- or, uh, Ingwen is from Taipei. Um, so, like, they... 
like they come at it with very different perspectives and it really the game gets into how your different upbringings especially as somebody who grew up in illinois there's a section in the game where there's a facsimile of bloomington illinois that is displayed and it's mm. very very true to, oh, to it? life <laughs> it's it, the, the the way this game represents and and Melos and marina are from illinois as well so so this comes from a place of knowing and and Melos being the lead writer of this i think this is the first game where he has been the story lead and i like man like i i'm just so impressed by the things this game has to say and i do think it's an important message especially in this like pandemic post-pandemic world that we're living in like it is it's got like this hopeful message of connection that i think more people could use um, and I don't know, like, I, I really loved it. Another thing I want to quickly shout out, uh, the game's got a really fun photo mode, um, which is a really fun way to sort of like engage with, again, the visuals and stuff. Uh, the photo mode actually gets a lot more functionality after completing the game. Um, there are also some collectibles on the Island, these collectible capsules yeah. that, are usually in kind of hard to reach areas. Um, <laughs> not not just hard to reach areas. Like you literally have to jump to your death to be able to. Sometimes. Actually, I will say that that's something that we haven't said is I was, I was frustrated by some of the traversal, a bit of the traversal, but the game is pretty good about uh, the number of checkpoints that are around. Yeah. And at any point, at any point, you can just immediately return to a checkpoint. I did find that very helpful. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And yeah, there are some collectibles where you, you have to sort of jump to your death for it or grab it and then go back to the checkpoint or, or whatever. And the, the capsules give you just more good writing and sort of like flavor text to, to flesh out the, the three main characters. (laughs) Yeah. Which, which is cool. It's nice. It's just little stuff. It's about like, you know, how much Ryu likes beef jerky and, and stuff like that, you know? And, um, I don't know. The, I, I liked that a lot. There's also, this is something that analgesic is always really good about. There's a, a, a significant amount of cool post-game stuff to engage with. Uh, there's a thing called like a bubble adventure in the post-game that, that I'll let you uh, look at for yourself. It's kind of like <laughs> if you if you want to kind of have a little bit more challenge in the in the traversal, it's it's pretty neat. Um, there's a lot of cool stuff kind of in the post game. And they're always really good about that. A lot of behind the scenes stuff too, which uh, Melos and Marina are, are always good at. All of their games have interesting, like behind the scenes content that uh, a lot of games don't allow you to see. Most games don't care to pull back the curtain and their games do. And um, yeah, it's, it's great. I, I, for me, it's one of my favorite games of the year. Um, and like, it's getting more and more difficult for me to determine what my favorite analgesic game is. Um, but man, this is, this is a really strong entry. What's your favorite analgesic game, Seth? Yes. Basically. Yeah. I mean, like (laughs) I, I look at this and I'm like, man, like even the ocean I would say is their most accessible game, but like, man, I don't know. I don't know which this one has my favorite soundtrack. This one has my favorite visuals. And I'm also just like, I don't know. Do I like the story of this more than Anodyne 2? Ah, I don't know. I can't, I, I can't choose. Well, uh, maybe you could use some help from our amazing fans. If you guys decide to check out 
Uh, I was about to say Anodyne, too. If you guys decide to check out Stephanie, let us know. Reach out to us on the Facebook, on the Twitter, on the Discord, and let us know all of your thoughts. If you've played any of Analgesics games, let us know. But uh, check them out. They're all available on the eShop right now. Stephanie, Anodyne 2, even the Ocean. Check it out. And Anodyne. Yeah, the first and, one. And, yeah, and, and the first Anodyne. So the yeah. Quadrifecta. Yeah. Yeah, and their next game, Angeline Era, is uh, is coming next year. Uh, no Switch version announced as of yet. Uh, it's it's only announced for PC, but I will not be waiting for the Switch version of that. I will be getting that <laughs> on PC day one. Um, Fair so yeah, but anyways, Eric, that is not, of course, the only game uh, that released this week. There was a little no. teeny tiny uh, indie game called Pikmin Four. Uh, that released as well. Of course, we have only just got our hands on it, so we can't give you any deep thoughts or impressions on it yet. However, we did still want to celebrate uh, the release of Pikmin 4 this week on the show. And we were really sitting here thinking about the the nature of Pikmin, this idea of having a, a army of minions to do uh, our <laughs> bidding in Pikmin. And it's, uh, in it's such an adorable way possible. Yeah, it's it's a, it's a fun idea, and we thought it might make a really interesting uh, top five this week. So this week in the top five, we are counting down the top five minions in Nintendo history. All right, Eric, the top five minions in Nintendo history. What are the rules, my friend? Well, for this top five, when we're talking about minions... Uh, it may seem like some gray area, but we are making a clear distinction between minions and companions. So we are not talking about like Pokemon. We are not talking about uh, like the Palamute and the Palico from, from Monster Hunter. We're not talking about party members from RPGs. You know, we are making a very clear distinction between companions and minions. Minions are like these just nameless, faceless, expendable tools. NPCs. Yeah, they're they're just effectively tools with, you know, occasionally with faces on them, but they do actually have to count as characters. Basically, your own little personal army. And that can take a few different uh, forms. And I promise this just won't be a top five Pikmin-like games, despite what it may look like. <laughs> but yes, uh, so that's why we're not talking about Pokemon on here. That's why we're not talking about several games or franchises on here. It is, you know, a little difficult to describe sometimes. But yes, we are talking about minions, not companions. We are talking about your personal army, not your friends, not your companions, not your Pokemon, not any of these named characters that we come to, you know, learn about their hopes and dreams and their backstory. <laughs> We're talking about something that very often doesn't have a name and very often is more or less just a slight inconvenience if they wind up getting lost into the ether. Not to say that they're not adorable and that we don't feel anything when that happens. Just I'm explaining this terribly, aren't I, Seth? <laughs> no, no. It's, I mean, that's, that's, I think y'all know what we're talking about when we, when we say minions. So Eric, kick us off with our number five. Well, uh, you know, we, we love our Nintendo and we love our bright, whimsical, kid-friendly, accessible games, but we've, we've really just got to kick this off with the most evil thing possible. Our number five is Overlord. 
specifically Overlord Dark Legends and uh, by extension Overlord Minions on the DS. But for those who don't know, there was a game franchise back on the Wii, back on the Xbox 360 and the PlayStation 3, which was for all intents and purposes just like Evil Pikmin. And it was rad. It kind of was rad. It's basically like like Fable meets Pikmin or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. kind of like that. But you play as you play as the Dark Lord. You play as the Scourge of the countryside. You play as, I mean, functionally a half step away from Sauron himself. And the whole point of the gameplay is you have these little gremlin goblin minions that you use. I mean, Pikmin really just is kind of the best comparison for a lot of this, especially when we, you know, as we are wont to do when we talk about things through a Nintendo filter. Uh, but yeah, they, they, you have them attack humans and you know, they attack and collect like livestock for you. And it's just, it's so cool. It really is. If you're looking for a, a slightly more mature take, a slightly more tongue in cheek take on that tried and true formula and you have the ability to play Wii games, we absolutely recommend checking out Overlord Dark Legend. Yeah, it's it's cool too because um the, the minions in Overlord are actually really distinct. You've got these brown like fighter type minions that can actually mm-hmm. gather like equipment and upgrade your other minions with armor and weapons. You've got your red minions that are like fire-based magic users that just set the world ablaze. You've got your green minions, which are assassins and like poison uh dealing minions, and you've got your blue ones, which are like healers and minions that can swim in the water. They can resurrect other minions. So, you know, you've got quite a lot of um, variety going on there. And these are kind of like other uh, implements that we see in stuff like Pikmin, but they're kind of like passed through this Overlord lens and it just kind of works. It's it's a really cool series. Yeah. Nintendo really hasn't been the platform for big RTS style games. Like, you know, your Warcrafts and your Starcrafts, you know, your Command and Conquers. We've had a couple Command and Conquer games on Nintendo platforms, but uh, when it comes to Nintendo, like it's stuff like Overlord is where you're going to scratch that kind of itch, really. Yeah. Yeah. Cool, cool games. But going into our number four, and this is something that we talked about relatively recently on the show. Yeah, it uh, is. Our number four, Advance Wars and the many, many expendable units. Uh, so many. That are that are in there. The poor expendable units of Advance Wars. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Advance Wars, very famously, is presented through this lens of being very colorful and, and kid-friendly and everything. But when you actually look at it, it's, it's kind of horrifying, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Seeing, like, the actual combat, especially the moments where the camera, like, shows the armies, like, fighting each other on the land, and it, like, zooms yeah. in, and you just see people getting, like, blown away. <laughs> yeah. It's it's, But specifically, what separates... Advance Wars from another series like Fire Emblem is a lot of the characters in Fire Emblem, the most notable units in Fire Emblem, are named companions of the protagonist. These are characters that we, you know, they're much more like party members in an RPG. 
there's much more to them than just your standard fighter or mage or uh, assassin or archer. But in the Advance Wars franchise, you have your CO, but all the actual troops are, yeah, they're just completely expendable, faceless, nameless minions who probably have families that will love them now that they're gone. Oh, gosh. I don't want to think about it. (laughs) Exactly. But you never learn anything about any of them. And you just continue to generate them. You know, as you get money throughout the course of the battles, you just generate more and more of them. And you just throw them right back into the fray without thinking about it. Again, it's kind of horrifying when you think about it. But that's when, when it comes to this list specifically, that's absolutely what sets this franchise apart from your Fire Emblems. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And also just like, you know, the, these, these are called in game, the, the units, but you know, the military and, and minions, you know, a thing or two about that too, Eric. I mean, you got, I <laughs> plead the fifth. <laughs> the grunts, pawns, you know, totally. whatever you want to call them. <laughs> I mean, even, even the most powerful units in the games, even your Neo tanks, even your bombers, they're all completely expendable. You never like there's never even a name associated with any of them. They are minions in the truest sense of the word. And honestly, they probably wouldn't even care if you called them that. That's fair. But but going into our number three, this is where we're actually putting Pikmin. Mm-hmm. Only at three. What? I know, right? <laughs> and our top two picks may be a little controversial, maybe hot takes uh, for some of you. But, I mean, Pikmin is still a podium finish when it comes to this. It's still really, really good. We're super excited to jump into Pikmin 4 this weekend and in the upcoming weeks. And, of course, now that we have Pikmin 1 and 2 on the Nintendo Switch, in addition to Pikmin 3 Deluxe, uh, there's plenty of opportunity to jump in with Alomar and Louie and Brittany and Alf and uh, Charlie and the, the whole crew and discover why, apparently, according to Miyamoto, not enough people have fallen in love with these adorable little flower aliens. But yeah, there's there's just something, there's just a little bit of that Nintendo magic in Pikmin, the same way that there is in all of their franchises. Uh, they're, like, they're just... I mean, you guys know they're just so cool. Just like, I mean, we talked about with Overlord, you've got your red Pikmins, your blue Pikmins, your rock Pikmins, your flying Pikmins. You've got your Pikmin for whatever you need to do. You've got these equally adorable enemies that you get to fight them with. And you pick up all these fun, like one of my favorite things about Pikmin is just the way they describe the different fruits oh, and yeah. the different items that you come across. That's it's just completely indicative of how adorable this thing is. And it's, I will say, even though we're classifying Pikmin as expendable minions, who amongst us has not been completely heartbroken when you hear that little wail and you see the little, little Pikmin soul rising up from uh, their minions? They're nameless. They're practically faceless. But darn it if they don't still make you care about each and every one of them. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Like, they, they it's all the little personalities that uh, the Pikmin have, even though they are minions, even though you're going to have dozens and dozens and dozens of them, you know, at your command to do your bidding, um, you know, like they, they still, you come to care about them. They're cute. 
You know, they're just cute little Pikmin. They're just kind of funny and they make little, like, you throw them, they're like, you know. <laughs> so, yeah. I don't know, man. Shout, shout outs to the Pikmin for sure. Uh, the, the Pikmin definitely... Um, I was going to say, I, I don't I don't know what corollary I'd make, like walk so that this thing could run. Uh, I don't know, like carried so that this thing could lift. It's a bad metaphor. Our number two is Tinykin. Um, yeah. I mean. What? Tinykin over Pikmin? How, yeah. Seth and Eric, could you possibly place Tinykin ahead of Pikmin? Well, A, have you played the game yet? And B, we did think about this. We did think about this. And of course, as Pikmin has continued to mature as a franchise, they have continued to add new and interesting new variety to these little adorable little flower aliens. We're getting uh, glowing Pikmin in the newest one. But I mean, you look at the versatility, you look at the increased personality, you look at uh, (laughs) the loyalty of the Tinykin, we ultimately just had to give the ever so slightest of nods to uh, the new indie darling Tinykin. Yeah, I think I think for me, like the the Tinykin are actually more expendable than Pikmin. Like, oh, a thousand percent. Like, yeah, especially <laughs> they, the red they ones. What? Yeah, the red ones are literal bombs. <laughs> yeah, they're only like they're. Imagine a red Pikmin as a bomb. That's yeah. a red Tinykin. Yeah. Uh, So you want to talk about expendable. They are 1000% expendable. That's the only thing they live for. Uh, One of the things I really, really love about Tinykin are these fully animated cutscenes that you get the first time you meet what Tinykin of a new variety. Oh yeah. And the amount of personality that the individual Tinykin have, they just feel so much more animated. They feel like they have so much more personality than Pikmin. And also, while you've got, you know, just like with Overlord, just like with Pikmin, you've got your red, your blue, yellow, green. You've got several variants that you can probably guess most of what you're going to wind up doing with them. In terms of versatility, we also have to give the ever so slightest of nods to the Tinykin. Yeah, while you have these rock Pikmin that are going to go up and bang their head against something and knock it down probably within a minute or two. You have these red bomb Pikmin that'll just blow something up immediately and you're on your merry way. Yeah. You have these green Tinykin that will make this massive ladder for you and immediately get you up, uh, you know, 20, 30 feet in the air. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, honest. And like from there too, like you have in, in Pikmin, you have like yellow Pikmin that can engage with electricity, but the, the blue Pikmin in Tinykin are conductors. Which the blue tinykin and tinykin, are, yeah, the, the blue tinykin rather are are conductors, and like I just I think that's so funny and smart, and I even like the way that like their little antenna like change depending yeah. on their their role, and it's sort of just like it looks right, like the the green tinykin look like rungs on a ladder, the blue tinykin have little like electrical you know prongs out of their head, you know the the mm-hmm. red Pikmin look like the fuse of a bomb, you know. It's really good. (laughs) And Pikmin, if they have the materials around, sure, they can build you a bridge. Yellow Tiny can just remove the middleman. They just become the bridge. Yeah, straight up. Just become the bridge. So, and it, and it's all, you know, Tiny Kin's a fantastic, you know, game. It's so good. It's so good. Uh, I mean, this may be a hot take. I, 
if I had to choose between playing Pikmin three again and playing Tinykin again, I'd probably choose Tinykin. It I would really too. is just a great, great game. If you haven't checked it out, you absolutely should. Uh, it's one of our favorite indie games from the past couple yeah. of years. Uh, just, just so, so good. And again, it's not necessarily a, <laughs> it's not necessarily a far and away victory, but we did have to give the slightest of nod to Tinykin. Cannot wait for Tinykin 2. Please bring on Tinykin 2. But before we get to our number one, I, I'm sure everybody's like, what in the world could possibly be the, the number one on this list? Uh, before we get to it, though, pin it for just a second because we got some honorable mentions to get into, Eric. We do. We've got a couple and we had some really, really interesting. We had a couple of really, really interesting conversations when it came to this list. We didn't just want this list to be like the top five Pikmin style games. There were some really interesting uses of minions throughout Nintendo history. Uh, you brought this up and I, I completely, we had to at least shout out the Dinpa men. Oh from yeah. The 3DS. Yeah, man. The, the Dinpa men is such a cool little series where you scan like the radio waves with the AR, like on the, on the 3DS or whatever. And you pick yeah. up these, these little Dinpa men that you then use as like, uh, sort of like almost expendable, like party members in this little dungeon crawler. Um, yeah, yeah. fun series. Uh, Takeshi and Hiroshi, a wonderful little claymation style indie game that came out a few years ago in which you play as the older brother of a, a young sick child and you are actually coding this RPG style game for them and you let them play as the hero. Functionally, your role as the main character is to place minions in their way so much so that they have to come as close to possible with uh close as possible to being defeated without actually being defeated to give your little brother the biggest rush. But uh, implementing minions is uh, basically the core concept of Takeshi and Hiroshi. And it's a really, really interesting take on that formula. Yeah. Yeah. There's um speaking of indie games, there's this uh, indie game that I talked about on the show uh, recently called little Noah scion of paradise, which is mm-hmm. uh, an interesting little like roguelike combat platformer where you pick up minions throughout the course of your run. And you actually have to like, you don't directly attack anything, your minions attack for you. And you kind of build your own kind of minion combo, like your sort of turn order. It's a really interesting system. And, uh, and I like that game quite a lot. Yeah. Uh, another game that actually just re-released this year, Grim Grimoire, once more uh, from Vanillaware, I believe, mm-hmm. um, just re-released. And again, there's quite a bit of it's it's quite an RTS style game for those who are unfamiliar. I'm pretty sure there's still a demo up on the eShop. So nice. check it out. But yeah, a lot of. A lot of the gameplay in that is you you summon these elves to gather energy for you, the same as you do in a lot of more popular style RTSs. You know, you gather your resources so you can create new units and create attacks. But yeah, it's Grim Grimoire has has an abundance of minions for you to control. Yeah, yeah. Shout out to Cult of the Lamb. Uh, your your cult members in Cult of the Lamb that you're constantly recruiting and people who you can brainwash so much that they want to sacrifice themselves to you. <laughs> um, which Now, you do name them. You know, you do have the ability anyway to name them, and you can even customize them a little bit, but they are still very much 
your personal fodder. You know, you make them work in your fields. You make them build houses for you. It is very much, you know, they, they are very much your minions. And I took the approach where I named them all after my friends. And there was like four Eric's, like to the point where uh, like an Eric would want to sacrifice himself or whatever. And who am I to deny Eric to do that? And then I would recruit another one. And that was Eric two. I think we got up to Eric five uh, all told in my Cult of the Lamb playthrough. So I'm both disturbed and, <laughs> and kind of flattered. I'll tell you, I'll tell you the most disturbing part is after somebody sacrifices themselves in Cult of the Lamb, their like meat is left behind and your cultist can oh, do yeah, it too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there's also that Eric kids game. Eat Eric. Yeah. 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 Kids game. Kids game. Friendly. I, re- I remember back when you were playing Metopia and wasn't there some interaction with me and you and Anastasia or something? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was like, uh, like I think I was giving Anastasia like a present and like our yeah. relationship grew, but then like the camera zoomed in and you were just outside the window like, <gasps> <laughs> I wish Seth would give me a present. Good game. Oh, uh, yeah, but we digress a little bit. Couple other quick shout outs that we want to do. Uh for those uh, this is going to be a deep cut, but uh the Warriors Way on the Street Pass Me Plaza. Yeah, speaking of We memes. wanted to shout out real quick. Yeah. So you could it was basically just rock paper scissors, but they did it through the filter of the Shogun style armies and people that you met uh, through Street Pass could actually, they, they could bequeath their armies to you to make your army bigger and you would take your armies and, and all of your minions to play a very basic rock, paper, uh, scissors style game and just try to take over the world, essentially. But uh, I I remembered that and I just thought it'd be worth checking out because, it yeah, that's you, a fun you wind one. up getting literally thousands of minions in that game. <laughs> yeah, so that's a fun one. Uh, shout outs to Kirby Mass Attack. Doesn't technically count. That's a weird edge case. And we talked about this. We were like, yeah, like you have minions, but the minions are also you. <laughs> so that's a weird one on the Nintendo DS. Good game, though. Really good game. <laughs> let, let us know uh, in the Discord what you think is going on with Kirby Mass Attack. Are they, is it like some kind of weird time loop multiversal thing where it's space time is folding in on itself? Are they clones? You've got to let us know what you think is going on with Kirby Mass Attack. Yeah, goodness. (laughs) Who even knows? And I don't know if, if a couple other games had been on Nintendo platforms, the serve bots may have actually made the list proper. Yeah. Yeah. We, we really only got them. They cameoed in a bunch of stuff. I don't even remember. Apparently they're in project cross zone. I played that game. I don't remember them in there, but I did too. Everybody was in project cross zone, but yeah, that's uh, fair. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's fair. But yeah, they, they were, and they were also technically in, in Mega Man legends slash Mega Man 64. Uh, but you know, that they, they, you also are, they're not your minions, they're Tron bonds, you know? So like it, you know, it's, they didn't make the list for that reason. Um, I also really quickly wanted to shout out the wild at heart, which is only an honorable mention. I haven't played it, but I know that that is also a very Pikmin inspired indie game. And I know a lot of people yeah. like that game. Yeah. I haven't been able to play it either, but, uh, I mean, would certainly like to considering all the, uh, comparisons that we've heard people make about it. Yeah. However, there can be only one Seth. Although technically for us, it's not even true. Uh, so for our number one, I'm actually really interested to see 
what uh, our community thinks about this. Our number one is technically a twofer. My life is a king slash little king story from the Wii. Controversial. We 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 decided to do two number ones. Uh, because the games are both very similar and very different, but like in both of them, you are a king utilizing mm-hmm. your kingdom in very different ways. Yeah, I, functionally, yeah, you are the king and you essentially hire adventurers and villagers to do a lot of the stuff that in other games you would be doing yourself. Uh, a lot of these games are effectively just management sims, especially in the case of My Life as a King. It's more or less like a building sim. Yeah. You have this blank slate of a kingdom that you're trying to recreate. So you focus on that while you post, <laughs> while you have this bulletin board and you post jobs for uh, NPCs, for adventurers, for villagers to go out and collect resources and defeat monsters and go do other things that you as a player character would have done in most other games. But here you are the king. You have much higher duties to attend to at home. You have your subjects, you have your villagers, you have these peasants, you have your minions to do all the heavy lifting for you. But genuinely, it's a really cool game and I really like it and I really wish Nintendo and Square Enix would bring it to the Switch. Yeah, that'd be neat. Yeah, I mean, and, the, and these are both WiiWare titles and like L- Little King Story is this, yeah, you're you're recruiting these like faceless you know, soldiers and townsfolk to go out and you have like this huge, you end up having this like massive, like line of people, you know, behind you to, to do your bidding. And, um, it's interesting that like, it's one of those things where like, it's weird that it happened twice, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> yeah. two, two, we wear King Sims on the Nintendo Wii, you know, that, that both had a similar sort of concept, but tackled it in two very different ways. So again, Maybe somewhat controversial, but hopefully you understand where we're coming from by giving uh, our number one technically to two different kings. It's it's good to be king. It's good to be king. It is it is very very good to be king. But I can already see the comments. It's like, are you kidding me? Pikmin deserves to be number one above stuff. I I can absolutely already see. That. And if you want to make that argument, if you want to make that make the argument, come at us, please. Yeah, yeah. come at us, bro slash sis. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Reach, reach out to us on Facebook, on Twitter. We'd love for you to join our amazing community over in the Discord. Ton of amazing, intelligent uh, people over there uh, that won't at all get miffed at the fact that we snubbed Pikmin in, in its own list. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, let us know what your favorite minions, your favorite personal armies are in video game and in Nintendo history. We would love to know what your picks were. Yes, yes. And we're not quite done talking about Pikmin yet, Eric. Uh, you know, Pikmin 4 uh, is is the latest release in this long-running series that, yeah, like, I, th- I think we mentioned it earlier, Miyamoto has kind of said, like, you know, Pikmin's never quite caught on um, to, to a mass audience. We're kind of hoping that Pikmin 4 is the one that does, and Pikmin 4 is certainly poised to be the one that does, and we'll, we'll see how that shakes out, but um, here in the States especially, I feel like we're not really seeing much marketing. That's not the case in Japan whatsoever. In Japan, Pikmin 4 is all over the place, plastered on billboards and having like 7-Eleven cross promotion and special food and terrarium toys and all sorts of things. And 
I learn about this kind of stuff via Tokyo Game Life, uh, which is a really good social media follow for one thing, um, but also a great podcast that is hosted by uh, this guy Mono, who uh, has a really like well done curated podcast about Nintendo culture in Tokyo. And we had the distinct pleasure of sitting down with him and chatting about Pikmin 4's absolute takeover in Japan. So let's welcome Mono and Tokyo Game Life to the show right now. All right, dear listeners, we're super excited to be joined by a very special guest this week, the curator and host of the Tokyo Game Life podcast covering Nintendo and gaming culture in Japan's capital. Please welcome to the show Mono from Tokyo Game Life. Yay! <laughs> hey, listeners, I'm Mono from Tokyo Game Life. Well, I think Seth already kind of explained what the podcast is about, but I'm coming at you from the heart of Tokyo, and we're going to be talking about Nintendo, so I'm always looking forward to that. Yeah, thank you so much for taking some time out of your, you know, evening for us, morning for you, I guess. Yes, I'm coming from to you from the future. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> We're literally recording with him tomorrow, uh, <laughs> even though it's today for us. Even though, I'm not going to think about it too hard. But yes, thank you once again for taking time out of your day to join us. Great pleasure to have you. Uh, so, you know, what's it like what doing a podcast from inside uh, Tokyo? It's great. Uh, one of the reasons why I decided to focus on gaming for my podcast, because actually it's kind of a weird origin of my podcast. I, I love podcasts, so I wanted to start one. But ironically, I wasn't sure what to start it about or what to talk about, even though you know I love gaming and I play games pretty much every day and I'm obsessed with gaming culture. It didn't immediately click to me that I should make a gaming podcast. But since I live in Tokyo and I really love my two big passions are travel and of course gaming so i thought well those are kind of opposite because travel you know you're going out and gaming you're it's a more sedentary hobby you're staying in but actually if you live in tokyo you can kind of mix the two because there's so many different gaming related places to visit in tokyo and gaming activities that are happening all the time and also i thought about you know not every podcast is kind of diving into the cultural aspect of gaming especially in japan so it kind of clicked with me it's like, oh, okay, let's combine, you know, my love for Nintendo and my love for traveling Tokyo and put them together. And that's basically the origins of the podcast. The the show is great. I um you you followed on Twitter, I think, and and like sent me I, I followed you back because I was like the you know the the concept is so cool and then you had your setting, your your location set as Tokyoto, and I was like, mm. okay, cool, kindred spirit here. <laughs> and um and and I immediately checked out the podcast and I've been following it ever since. Uh it's it's great. You you do such a great job of just like, yeah, curating these little, you know cultural cross sections of gaming and strong focus on Nintendo, which obviously our audience is, uh, is a bunch of Nintendo fans as well. So um, it's, it's, it's really great. And, um, and I like listening to it every time you, you upload, I'm curious. And, and I don't know how much of this you've, you've shared in the past and feel free to, you know, decline if, if this isn't something you're comfortable with sharing, but I am kind of curious, like a little bit of your personal background of how you got to Japan and how long you've lived there and sort of what brought you to the country. Well, I moved to Japan in 2017. So actually, right when the Switch launched, I came in July 2017. So I recently celebrated my six-year anniversary you in Japan. You switched over to Japan. Okay. okay. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I really associate the Switch era with my era in Japan. 
And both have been, you know, great. I love the Switch. I love living in Japan. So everything timed out perfectly. If I moved here during the, the Wii U era, for example, I don't know if, if everything would have gone as well as it has, <laughs> but I'm loving, I'm loving my life now. And I always was interested in Japan and Japanese culture ever since I was a kid. I think maybe the first thing that got me into it was probably video games because I did start to notice, hey, all these games I'm playing, they're coming from Japan. I don't know if this is a coincidence or not, but they seem to be all coming from Japan. Uh, but after that, I started to get more into Japanese culture and Japanese history, Japanese movies. And since I was maybe 12 or so, I've always been obsessed with Japanese culture. And it took a while, but I eventually moved over here in 2017. I actually came over as a student learning Japanese. Okay. Uh, so I didn't have any okay. money or anything like that. Uh, but even though you don't have any money, it's still fun to you know check out game stores. That was a big thing I did when I was a broke student trying to learn Japanese. Uh, just pop into the local uh, Geo is a very popular gaming shop. I'm trying to think about what to... It's almost like a Japanese blockbuster, if you can believe it. Oh, uh, sure. You can actually you can rent movies and rent manga uh, as well as buy oh, video wow. games. You can't rent video games, but you can you can buy them. And they have used games as well. So one of my first things I did when I came to Japan and I lived in like a share house. If you don't know what a share house is, you basically just have like a a room and that's it. Mm. Uh, it's, think of apartment, but maybe 10 times smaller. You have a bed, you have a desk <laughs> and that's it. And you live with 30 other people. Uh, wow. It's like, this is my closet. So, <laughs> pretty much yes and yeah at the time you know i was focusing on studying japanese but every now and then i would pop by the local geo and check out the especially the game displays i think we'll probably get into that later but the game displays in japan are really excellent they're really curated and articulately detailed and they look fantastic and geo also has a lot of retro games so you can pop in and look at the newest switch titles but you can also find even games from the famicom era at this local Gale. Nice. So one thing that I really love about Japan is that so much is in walking distance. For example, from my home, now I live in an apartment. Thankfully, I I, I, upda I updated from share house to apartment. It took me uh, <laughs> several years, but I did it. Now you have a closet but and one, a bathroom. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you, you joke, but that is like a huge step where it's like, oh, I don't have to share my bathroom with anybody. This is a huge yeah. step in my life. Game changer. Um, but one great thing about living in Tokyo uh, is that you can walk from your home and find boxed copies of Famicom games oh. at affordable prices. I think that's no one else can say that unless you live in Japan or especially in Tokyo. Uh, I know like even just in like maybe a three mile radius or a walking distance, I can find so many retro games, so many interesting places like arcades, uh, big malls where you can buy the newest video games so much it's just in walking distance so i'm, I'm really lucky to so live jealous in. of you <laughs> yes i'm really lucky to live in tokyo and if you love nintendo i can't imagine like a better place to live i can imagine well especially like you said coming over um during the the switch era i mean how how has that that been for you to kind of like here i am in tokyo i came at sort of the perfect time as a nintendo fan and now like there's all of this Nintendo pop culture happening in this massive, you know, place like Tokyo to, I mean, how has that been for you making your podcast in like the most exciting 
era maybe in Nintendo history. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. I definitely think we're in the golden age of Nintendo. Switch is definitely my favorite Nintendo console, and I've played them all, including the handhelds. Uh, so we are really living in, like I said before, this is peak Nintendo. So I'm really fortunate to be in Japan. And you can definitely feel the atmosphere, and you can feel that, oh, Nintendo is on top, not just in the gaming sphere, but in terms of general pop culture. Like you feel mm-hmm. like uh, you're at ground zero over there. Yes, definitely. And this will always be a time I remembered in my life. Uh, a lot has happened in the six years outside of gaming as well. Uh, but there will always be, I, I think I will always look fondly on the Switch era as, oh, I definitely remember that was a great time in my life. And it's just really hard to encapsulate how prominent Nintendo is over here in terms of pop culture because especially their marketing is really stellar and their marketing is really omnipresent which I think we can kind of uh, touch on as well. Uh, for example in Tokyo there are many train lines. It's very famous for oh, yes. you know it's oh, yes. incredibly labyrinthian trained uh, train lines and probably the most prominent of these train lines is called the Yamanote line and the Yamanote line is shaped like a circle and it goes around to a lot of Tokyo's most famous spots. So, for example, Shinjuku, Shibuya, Ueno, Ginza. It's almost like it was made for tourists. If you come to Tokyo, you could probably only spend your time on this one line and hit so many of your uh, like wanted hotspots. So it's that convenient. And it's, uh, it's not the busiest train line in Tokyo, but it is one of the busiest. And it's the one a lot of international travelers use. And the biggest stations go through or Yamanito Sen goes through the biggest stations. And every time there's a new Nintendo game, Nintendo will advertise the newest game at these stations with these huge billboards. So right now, Pikmin 4 is being advertised. So if you go to Shibuya Station, if you go to Shinjuku Station, Ueno Station, these huge stations where hundreds of thousands of people go to every single day, you'll see these huge Pikmin 4 ads, which is really cool. And especially for Pikmin 4, each station has a different ad. So, it, for example, at Harajuku Station, the ad was like the Pikmin in the house. And then at Shinjuku Station, it was an ad of the Pikmin carrying like the Game Boy Advance. <laughs> so it, it's very funny to see like, oh, I'm seeing a Game Boy Advance in an advertisement in 2023. That kind of stuff could only really happen in Tokyo. Uh, Is it and, like a banner? Is so, it painted on the wall or? It's kind of like a banner. It's like a square almost like a mini billboard I would I would describe it as. Okay. But it's quite big. Uh, and this always happens for every single Nintendo first party game. So Zelda had it, uh, Splatoon last year, you'll see it in Pokemon. Ironically, the one game that I didn't see any advertising for in Tokyo outside of some game displays is almost like Nintendo initiated an anti-marketing campaign is for everybody, everybody wants, wants to switch. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, of course. <laughs> yeah. Of course. <laughs> this was a little shocking because every single first-party Nintendo game, no matter how big or small it is, it will have these advertisements on the Yamanote line. Even something like Big Brain Academy had advertisements in these Tokyo train stations. Wow. But everybody wants to switch. It didn't even have a download card. Uh, <laughs> I think you have these in America as well. But in Japan, I think they're a little more elaborate because maybe you can correct me, but, but my image is that in America, the, like the eShop download card for a game, is it just like a paper 
or does it come with a physical card? Uh, you can get eShop, uh, like, you know, 20, 30, $40 eShop cards. Those come as little gift cards, little like plastic credit card style things that okay. have uh, Mario characters on them typically. Uh, okay. You can buy like, you know, paper or digital codes. Uh, you can buy them like that. But, you know, they're, they've got some credit card style implements as well. Okay. So uh, every Nintendo game has this in in Japan, like even smaller digital titles, Box Boy had one, Kirby's Dream Buffet had a uh, download card. And these are kind of fun to collect as well because they often have like custom card art. Okay. Not everybody wants to switch did not have a download card. Wow. They didn't, they didn't even go through the effort of printing off the cards for this game. So this really stood out because Nintendo aggressively advertises all their first party Nintendo titles. Yeah. But everybody wants to switch was left out, which is a little, a little funny. That is really interesting. I kind of <laughs> want to collect those now. Yeah, some of them have really cool art, especially the Splatoon cards are really awesome. They have oh, unique I bet. art. I bet. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, for sure. And and it's it's been great. You're you're a top tier social media follow at Tokyo Game yes. Life <laughs> on on Twitter. It's so great to see um, all of this stuff, especially over the past month or so. Uh, Pikmin Four has been kind of taking over. Like I'm seeing mm. all of this stuff. That has been coming from the um, Family Mart snacks to the Ichiban Kuji yes. prize raffle that's going on to clothes and merch and food. And, you know, it just it's it's everywhere. And um, that's really not the case here in the Western market. It's pretty mm. it's pretty quiet. So I'm, I'm kind of curious what your interaction has been with um, with some of the Pikmin 4 marketing there and sort of the the Pikmin sweep over there in Japan. Yeah, so I wanted to touch on it. Of course, Pikmin is a Nintendo EPD property, so it's mm. not like Fire Emblem or Kirby, which is co-owned with other companies. So Nintendo has a bit more leeway in marketing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I always go to the, uh, I don't know if you've ever watched Seinfeld, but there's oh, an yeah. episode of Seinfeld where Jerry, I think it's Jerry, wants to break up with his girlfriend, but his girlfriend won't let him. <laughs> and she uses the analogy of like, oh, it's like a submarine. Both keys need to turn yeah. in order for it to like go. So Nintendo is kind of like that as well, because if they want to do something with Kirby, for example, Hal also owns Kirby. So Hal also needs to, you know, agree with Turn this. their key. And uh, yes. And Pokemon Company, they have like they have like 10 keys and it's like really complicated. But for Nintendo EPD games, things like Mario, Zelda, and now Pikmin, Nintendo is has a bit more freedom in how they advertise it. So I think they get a bit more marketing push compared to these other titles. So for example, of course, Zelda had a huge marketing cycle mm-hmm. a few months ago. And especially Splatoon had mm-hmm. maybe the biggest one I've seen in Japan. Really? Uh, last year. Yes. Uh, I can get to that uh, after Pikmin 4. But yeah, yeah, that yeah. one, that was like almost like a festival. Uh, wow. So, and it, it's very clear that Nintendo is trying to push Pikmin 4 as a breakout title for a new audience. Mm-hmm. Pikmin 3 Deluxe, it's the highest selling Pikmin SKU. Uh, it sold more than like Pikmin 3. Uh, mm-hmm. And in Japan especially, Pikmin 3 Deluxe is the highest-selling Pikmin SKU. So there is some popularity for Pikmin in the country. I wouldn't say it's you know an iconic Japanese gaming franchise. It's not to the level of, say, Dragon Quest or Mario or no. Pokemon, mm-hmm. but it is growing. Uh, there is an audience for Pikmin. And like I mentioned before, they've been really aggressive in collabor- uh, sorry, aggressive in marketing their Switch titles, and they often rely on collaborations to reach people who might not follow traditional games media. I think for us, we hear of a game when it's announced, maybe a second after it's announced on Twitter, because we're 
you know, that's just the it's gaming, our bubble. Yeah. The gamer. Yeah. Yeah. Our gaming bubble. We know, okay, it was announced on Twitter two seconds ago. So now I know everything about it. But a lot of people, they don't know about games until they come out. Oh, and or they might not follow any gaming magazine or gaming Twitter or social media. So Nintendo has to think of different ways to reach these people. And one way, like I mentioned before, those train advertisements. Yeah. You see, you go to train station every day and you might notice, oh, okay, Pikmin is coming out on this day. And they typically start the marketing cycle in Japan really aggressively about a month ahead of time. Uh, and like I, see, yeah, as I mentioned before, download cards are also great for advertising because you might think of it, oh, okay, it's just an alternative method to buy the game. But these download cards are displayed in convenience stores. And mm-hmm. in Japan, convenience stores is, you know, it's in J- Japanese people's blood. It's a way of life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. People go to convenience stores every day. And if you think about it, you're seeing these download cards, probably somebody's seeing it every day if they go to a convenience store. So that's not just, oh, we're selling this game. It's almost like a marketing part as well. Think of it like a, a very, very tiny billboard for mm-hmm. the game at the convenience store. And last year, a new Pikmin merch started to appear in Nintendo Tokyo. Things like clothing, houseware goods, like cups, towels, uh, vases as well. A bunch of just general weird things that were Pikmin themed. Uh, so you could see that Nintendo is kind of gearing up the Pikmin sweep, like you mentioned before. Mm-hmm. And they changed the new Pikmin logo actually appeared last year, I want to say, when they announced Pikmin 4. And then they started to make some new Pikmin merch with this logo. I remember I popped into a Japanese arcade and I went to a crane game and they had these Pikmin, not hoodie, but like a cap, like a cloth cap that you wear. Like a beanie right. or something? Uh, yeah, like a beanie shaped like the Pikmin's head. And oh, thought, that's so really cool. Ran- <laughs> yes. I thought this is a really random thing to have all of a sudden, but it was the genesis of Nintendo starting to start the Pikmin marketing. And of course, Pikmin is really important to Miyamoto, especially. Mm-hmm. And since yeah. he has, you know, a lot of a lot of uh, leeway at Nintendo, I think he definitely wants to push Pikmin as much as possible. And there is Pikmin Bloom. So you can think of it as, you know, kind of this cross marketing thing where Bloom is marketing the game and the game is also marketing Bloom and such and so forth. Uh, and I want a new really cool item I noticed yesterday. Maybe it came out before yesterday, but I just noticed it was a Bulborb blanket that's shaped like a giant bulborb and you kind of get into it like a sleeping bag. <laughs> yeah. So it looks like the bulborb is eating, eating. you. <laughs> yeah, so it's so funny. Uh, this kind of stuff is like, I don't need this at all, but how can you not buy it? Of course because you need it. This is, yeah, it's so <laughs> unusual. I love that. I, I saw you post that picture on Twitter. It's so good. <laughs> and I think maybe the biggest uh, marketing collaboration is with Family Mart, like you said earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, they did this with Zelda as well, and Splatoon as well. But ironically, Splatoon was 7-Eleven. Zelda was Lawson, which is another convenience store. Mm-hmm. And now Family Mart has Pikmin. So I kind of wonder, oh, what does the the contract look like? How does this happen? Yeah. Why is it like three different convenience stores? But So each first-party title, they, they wind up getting a contract with a different convenience store chain? Yeah, which is really unusual. That's interesting. Yeah, that's really weird. I always associate Nintendo a bit more with 7-Eleven because the download cards are more numerous and more prominent there. Mm-hmm. And in the past, I've noticed more like the Ichiban Kuji raffle is normally at 7-Eleven. But now they've kind of branched out to Family Mart and Lawson. So I think they're trying to cover all their bases. 
And the family mart, the biggest thing they had they is- They could the, be testing the waters to see where they get the biggest you know, bang for their buck from. Yeah, that makes sense as well. And the biggest thing that they had is the Pikmin-themed food. So it's brand new mm-hmm. items. Yeah, I want to hear about this. Yeah. There were three uh, new food items. There was a fruit sandwich uh, that's just, you know, a sandwich with kiwi and grapes and whatever, and like cream in there as well. Strawberry bread. And so the bread is shaped like a strawberry and a chocolate and banana ice cream sandwich. Uh, so I bought the strawberry bread and the ice cream sandwich. And the ice cream sandwich is actually quite excellent. It, w- it really exceeded really? my expectations. Yes. Chocolate it, and banana. Okay. And like it has, it's not, it has the perfect texture where it's kind of soft, but also has like the hard, crunchy chocolate in there as well. I th- yeah. I think I bought this maybe two or three times. It was that good. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> and these items are pretty limited because, yeah, th- I think they they make them once and they're like, okay, you better eat it before the the expiration date because we're not printing mm-hmm. Pikmin ice cream sandwiches until the end of time. Uh, so, right, like for example, now I don't even think you can buy them. I think maybe the like the campaign is done. So. I hope you ate as many mm. as you wanted to. Uh, an, another really cool Family Mart exclusive item is a Pikmin-themed eShop download card, which is 1,500 yen, so about maybe $12 or so. And it's shaped mm-hmm. like the Pikmin, so it has this kind of cool shape to it. And There's a really funny one at Lawson. There's a Kirby download sh- uh, card that's shaped like Kirby, so it's just like a round <laughs> card that you buy. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, these things are always funny to come across. And Ichiban Kuji that I talked about earlier, it's a prize raffle. It's like a lottery where you'll see a display board and you buy this cardboard ticket. You take a, a cardboard ticket from the display board and you mm-hmm. pay for it at the register. And then at the register, they show you a box. And in the box, you take a paper ticket and then you peel it off and you get a prize based on what letter you got. For example, it's ranked from A to, I think, maybe H or something. And so if you get the C, if you draw C, you get a C prize. So you can pick one item out of the C ranking. So there are different things they had. I played twice. My first one, I got the lowest prize. So I got these Pikmin-themed Ziploc bags, which is like a very strange like piece of gaming merch. Uh, Pikmin-themed <laughs> yeah. Ziploc bags? Yes. So it's just like, imagine a, like a, a Ziploc bag, but it's got Pikmin on it. That's it. That's the whole thing. Wow. Um, All right. So like, is, I'm just, I'm just trying to wrap my head around like, like just how random a Ziploc bag is. At what point does that get pitched in a meeting <laughs> and everyone just throws their hands up? Like, sure. Why not? That might as well I, happen too. I would love on my podcast to interview like somebody who was in marketing in Japan because yeah, yeah all absolutely. These, all these collaborations, I think maybe, maybe Japanese people or Nintendo just are the greatest marketers ever because there's so many just off the wall collaborations, uh, all the time. And yeah, I, I haven't even gotten to like some of the, the wilder ones. Uh, but yeah, there's the Ziploc thing. <laughs> the, zip, the Ziploc bag <laughs> isn't one of the wilder ones. <laughs> that, that's pretty crazy. That's up there. And uh, my second time I drew it, cause I got the Ziploc bags. Typically when I play the Ichiban Kuji, I just do it once and I'm like, what I get is what I get. Okay, it's just it's random, yeah. so anything yeah. is okay. But I thought, okay, Ziploc bags—that's kind of weird. Like, I kind of want something a bit more. <laughs> so right. I did. I did try one more time, and I got like a like a carry-on like vinyl bag. That is actually quite nice. It's like a transparent, okay. oh, cool. plastic bag, and it's got these okay. rope 
uh, like I don't know how to explain like the carry part. Sometimes I, I yeah totally yeah, yeah. it's got pull strings yeah pull strings. So that that one's actually quite nice and a bit more useful than the Ziploc bags. Uh, so I'm glad I got that one. And an, some other like Family Mart was weird because it kind of staggered out the collaboration items. For example, like one week was uh, the Ichiban Kuji and the food, and the next week they had these Pikmin bottle caps. So if you buy some tea, mm. it comes with these bottle caps. Now by bottle cap, it's like the top of the the bottle, but then it has like mm-hmm. a plastic stand with a picture of the Pikmin. And so they had one mm. for each Pikmin type. So they had like ice Pikmin and yellow Pikmin and blue Pikmin. And so I got so about, you're saying there were they had stands for the bottle caps so you could display the bottle caps? Yeah, you can display the bottle caps or you can put it on your bottle, I guess. But it's kind of weird to like walk around with a with a bottle with a giant picture of Pikmin on it. Uh, but <laughs> sure. I just bought it for like, oh, I'm just going to put it on my desk and then I'll look over and see the ice Pikmin and then I'll be happy. Uh, so mm-hmm. these types of like, ac- they're called acrylic stands. They're just like plastic, like plastic pictures. These things are so popular in Japan because they're pretty cheap to make. And if you just want something of a character, that's probably the cheapest possible thing they could have made. Um, like a few months ago, I ran into these Fire Emblem acrylic stands where it's just like a Lear from Fire Emblem. And it's like, he's maybe six inches. It's just like a plastic six inch picture of a Lear from Fire Emblem that you can put on your desk. So if you just really want to look at a Lear, this is your merch. Yeah, I've seen I've seen people do things like this before. Limited Run Games has been doing this quite a lot with um some of their collectors editions. It'll just be like I have a my Shantae collectors edition came with just yeah, yeah. an acrylic mm. stand of of Shantae the character. It seems to be catching on here too. I don't know. It seems like that'd be something good for like young kids or something who only have like a couple hundred yen coins in their pocket or something. Sounds like it'd be good for uh for those uh people. Yeah, and it's probably it takes maybe less than one penny to make one of these i I think so i think that's maybe the genesis of of how how they make these uh another really cool collaboration this was maybe one of the weirder ones but uh gelato pique i don't know if this brand is in the america but gelato pique is i've never heard of a yeah i haven't either it's a sleepwear brand so they sell pajamas and that type of things but it's geared towards women so uh if you're a guy you're out of luck so it's like women's sleepwear oh, darn. pajamas. And they had a, recently they started a Pikmin collaboration. So they sell these Pikmin pajamas. And these are not like <laughs> cheap, like $10 like cloth pajamas. They're often wool and very layered and very elaborate designed. And they also have like the Pikmin headbands as well. So you can pretend you're a Pikmin. Uh, so if you haven't seen these, definitely look it up. Uh, they look quite nice and they're, probably pretty expensive uh gelato pique i've been there quite a few times because my wife really likes that store and that's my go-to shop if i don't know what to buy her and i'm like oh i need to buy (laughs) oh anniversary or something is coming up pretty soon so i need to swing by gelato pique and buy something uh it'll set you back like one set is probably around a hundred dollars or so so this is some high-end pikmin uh, pajamas uh but nintendo has done some collaborations with them in the past there's been Animal Crossing collabs with Gelato Pique and Mario as mm. well. So mm-hmm. it's kind of funny that, you know, you wouldn't really think, uh, okay, we're a gaming company. How should we market our game? Oh, let's do a collaboration with a women's pajama company. Uh, but that kind of evokes what Nintendo is going for, is that Nintendo is trying to reach as many people as possible, especially people who normally don't play games. 
or people who have kind of lapsed out of Nintendo where it's like, oh, I remember playing the Wii when I was a kid. Oh, but now, okay, the Switch is here. So if you haven't played games since the Wii era, maybe you could, you know, come back to the Nintendo ecosystem. And you know, this is really evocative of what Nintendo has been doing the past few years of like uh, what really it started kind of with Awata um, in terms of, you know, Nintendo is not just games. It's almost like a, you know, it's a pop culture phenomenon. We're trying to have different revenue streams. We're doing a amusement park, mobile games, uh, now doing a lot of collaborations with these uh, brands. So reaching people who normally don't follow gaming in unique ways. So that's what Nintendo has really excelled at in Japan. And I think that's definitely a part of why they've succeeded as much is because really no matter right now in Japan, no matter where you go, you'll probably bump into something Pikmin related. Like, okay, I'm going to go to the park and it's, you know, I got to take the train. Well, you're going to see the Pikmin at the train station. Or if like, oh, okay, I'm, you know, I'm at the park and I'm thirsty. I want to go to the convenience store. Okay, you pop in the family mart and then you see the Ichiban Kuchi. And you see Pikmin food and the download cards. So is, they've really sort of reached out in completely new and different ways in Japan. So especially in Tokyo. So it's really like you can't escape Nintendo, which is great for me because I, I don't want to escape. Because so, uh, <laughs> I don't want yeah. to. Right. <laughs> uh, I guess some, uh, some more Pikmin things. Uh, I saw a huge Pikmin ad above the... Kabukicho Don Quixote. I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with Don Quixote. Oh, yeah. But it's a mm-hmm, really mm-hmm. popular... How do I even describe this? It's almost like Japanese Walmart, I would say. Uh, I would say that it looks like somebody uh, opened up the roof and then put a dump truck full of like merchandise in it and then closed <laughs> the roof. Because it's really... It sells everything, but it's really compact and cramped and things are like really randomly placed. And there's so many like decorations and everything. It's really wild. And the Kabukicho Donkey Hote, uh, I think that's a quite of a famous one because if you've ever played Like a Dragon, the Yakuza series, that exact mm-hmm. shop is in the game. So people have mm-hmm. been there like digitally at least. And <laughs> I've never seen this before at Don Quixote, but they had this huge Pikmin 4 banner above the store, which was really wild because I didn't see this for Pokemon or Splatoon or anything else. Uh, but maybe this is a new marketing, uh, like new marketing tactic for Nintendo, or maybe I just didn't notice. But they had this this gig- really gigantic Pikmin banner above their Kabukicho Don Quixote, and like this place is a really a hot spot for tourists. And it's right next to the Toho Cinema Shinjuku, which has a giant Godzilla statue. So I think a lot of people yeah. go see that. <laughs> uh, so it's really weird. It's like okay, there's Godzilla, and then there's Pikmin. So. <laughs> Pikmin is now Godzilla tier in terms of like Japanese pop cultural influence. Uh, so that kind of stuff is really awesome to see. That in and of itself is a marketing tactic. You know, you talk about, you know, not being able to escape Nintendo, escape Pikmin. I mean, that in and of itself is uh, the like Nintendo's marketing strategy could just very well be multifaceted uh, very purposefully as, you know, they want people to see it several times a day. They want to ensure hmm. that that these images are in front of people several times a day so that they can, you know, build up, you know, the more times people see it, the more exposure people have to, you know, whatever brand they're like, wow, I'm seeing this thing everywhere. It must be such a big, exactly. You know, this must be such a big deal. Uh, You know, I, I, I've got to check this out. I'm just seeing it absolutely everywhere. I should probably at least 
figure out what this thing is all about. So when it comes to nationwide marketing like that, it's probably not being able to escape Pikmin imagery is probably exactly what they're going for. Yeah, definitely. They're trying to reach people who are not thinking about games 24-7 like I am. And and there's actually some... So, you know, Pikmin 4 is out, and so the marketing collaboration is probably, you know, winding down a bit. But there is some stuff in the future as well. Like Sane, who is a famous plushie company, they have an Ice Pikmin and Ochi plushies coming in September. And Sane, they make a... Oh, really, I need an Ochi plushie. Yes. <laughs> they make a lot, <laughs> lot of really awesome plushies, especially for Nintendo. They make a ton of Kirby plushies. The Kirby ones are yeah, yeah. famous. And uh, recently, they I think last year, they made like Kirby's Dreamland 3 plushies, which is really a, mm-hmm. a big deep Last dive. year? Yeah. So it's like, well, so, wow. so like Pitch. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Good call. Yeah. Pitch, the green bird from Kirby's Dreamland 3 that mm-hmm. nobody has thought about in 20 mm-hmm. years. He got a plushie <laughs> last year. So that's really <laughs> awesome. And in November, the thing I'm really looking forward to are these Pikmin Terrarium collectible toys. From, yes. uh, yeah, I've saw, I've seen these. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's coming from this company called Remint, and they're really famous for their their blind box toys, and they're really tiny plastic. And they're, they have so many different ones and so many collaborations. Uh, they've done, they do a lot of Pokemon ones, and they've done like Snoopy and a bunch of other smaller ones as well. And so it's kind of like this, like I mentioned before, it's like a small terrarium. Like think of it like a ship in a bottle almost. Uh, but it's plastic mm, yeah. and they have these awesome like Pikmin themed scenarios. So you've got like the Bulbo attack and then like Pikmin chilling on like, a lily pad and all these other ones. They look really awesome. And I bought some remit stuff before and it's, you know, for a small plastic toy, it is quite high quality. Like it doesn't look cheap. It looks, you know, as good as it could have um, in terms of like, like would you, would you put it on like Amiibo level? Uh, Hmm. Amiibo is definitely bigger, so it's hard to say like the quality, but because mm-hmm. these things are so small, like they could easily fit in the palm of your hand. Um, but I would say that at, in terms of like the care taking into them, definitely maybe that same mm-hmm. level. Uh, and they look quite nice, and they are blind box. So if you want like a specific, sorry, if you want a specific one, you know you might have to try a few times. But they do sell like the whole set. Where okay, if you buy the whole set, you are guaranteed to get each individual one. Uh, yeah. So mm-hmm. for pe- for hardcore collectors, uh, that's the way to go. But if you just want one, uh, you can just buy it for a few dollars and get one. And they, honestly, they all look awesome. So I would not be disappointed with any of them. Uh, so I'm really yeah. looking forward to yes. that one. Yeah, they do look really cool. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to that in November. Uh, so yeah, that's basically, I guess, the wrap-up of the Pikmin collaboration. I'm sure there's some stuff I probably missed. I'm, maybe they've run like some sort of advertisement and some like Japanese fishing magazine that I, I'm not aware of trying to reach like <laughs> Japanese fishermen to introduce. Them I do to actually have a, 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 I've got a specific question. Like are in Japan, are video game magazines still a thing at all? Oh or yeah. Or is it mostly digital like it is here in America? There's definitely still video game magazines, uh, publishing in general. I always hear stories about like, Oh, the Japanese publishing industry is on a downturn, but mm. they're still cranking out books and magazines at a really rapid pace. I don't know the economics behind it, but yeah, gaming magazines definitely do exist. There's Famitsu, which is probably the most popular mm-hmm. one. Um, yep. Yep. And there's even, yeah, there's Nintendo-specific magazines, believe it or not. There's Nintendo Dream, which is similar to Nintendo mm-hmm. Power, and that's still going. Um, and there's also Dengeki. Dengeki has their own kind of themed magazines like Dengeki PlayStation, Dengeki Nintendo. 
Uh, for me, I quite like Famitsu and yeah, Nintendo Dream. And these are not like hard hitting, you know, game journalism type of publications, but they do have a lot of like great dev interviews. Uh, so a lot of stuff we learn about the development process comes from like Famitsu and Nintendo Dream. I don't know if Nintendo own. I think Nintendo did maybe own Nintendo Dream at some point. Maybe now they're independent, but there's a really strong collaboration. So you will often find dev interviews with people from Nintendo in Nintendo Dream. So it's a really good resource for people who are interested in Nintendo history. Are any standout like game magazine ads that you've seen recently? Hmm. There, well, you know, I grew up in the 90s, so those are, you know, iconic and both infamous. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah, those were, yeah, yeah those were yeah. hardcore back in the 90s. Because I think, like, <laughs> back in the day, they just said, like, okay, they hired a company and they said, make an ad, and they made whatever ad. Now I think it's a bit more controlled, where it's like Nintendo is saying, this is what we want the ad to look like, make it this. Um, so I think a lot of the ads I come across, they're pretty standard. It just looks like, you know, the official art and, you know, it comes out in this day. So nothing like really crazy from the 90s, sad to say, but maybe that's a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. I it, it It's curious to me because, you know, it's such a different, you know, vibe over there, especially with video games. There's so much more, even though video games are more popular than they've ever been and they get more popular every day. The way that these things are sort of woven into culture is so much stronger in Japan than it is here hmm. in the States. And um, I, I find that really interesting. And I'm curious if, for from your perspective as somebody who's now lived in Japan for six years, um, I think a lot of people, a lot of American uh, American fans or otaku or whatever you want to call them who uh, are weebs. into Japan, weebs, yeah, whatever you <laughs> want to call them. Um, there, there might be, I think, some misconceptions perhaps that Americans have about Japanese pop culture. And I'm curious what you think might be the, the biggest misconception that people have about Japan. Hmm. I think one thing that I often hear is that, you know, oh, in Japan, you know, everybody likes anime, everybody likes games, everybody likes some sort of nerdy culture. And I think that's maybe true to some extent. You know, people, you know, people have read manga before and people have played games and watched anime. But I wouldn't say like everybody is into that kind of that kind of stuff, for example. Uh, like I am, I'm mentioning it now, like the marketing is omnipresent. No matter where you go, you can see this marketing. But, you know, that doesn't mean that everybody likes, you know, Nintendo or everybody likes anime or manga. Uh, so, but I think that's emblematic of something good about Tokyo is that Tokyo and maybe Japan in general are really into subcultures. Subcultures really thrive in Japan and in Tokyo. And my subculture, of course, is gaming. That's the kind of thing mm -hmm. I love. So I know like where to go to find all these gaming hotspots. And that's the thing I kind of immerse myself into. But for example, if you're into fishing, for example, there are places in Japan, like entire streets, entire neighborhoods that are dedicated to like fishing gear and like a, like tackle and bait shops and all this kind of stuff. Interesting. And, it, and there's a neighborhood in Japan called Jinbocho. And Jinbocho is dedicated to retro books, like vintage books. And so there's dozens of stores that just sell old books. And so if you're into like, oh, I really love vintage books, you know where to go and you, you can solely dedicate your travel time to that. And for example, like if you're like into Japanese wrestling, there's like a Japanese wrestling hotspot, Japanese wrestling neighborhood that have all these shops and everything. 
But again, that doesn't yeah. mean that doesn't mean like, oh, everybody's into Japanese wrestling or everybody's into fishing or everybody's into um, old books. Uh, so uh, these subcultures thrive, but they're also a kind of, I don't want to say private, but you shouldn't think that, oh, everybody has, you know, likes this one thing. I think that's kind of a misconception because J- Japanese people especially are pretty good with kind of, uh, par- how can I say, they're really focused on their subculture, but they don't try to branch off into other stuff. For example, yeah, sure. Uh, so, are you an NJPW or an AJ, uh, AJPW or a pro wrestling Noah fan? I, I do love Japanese wrestling. Uh, I'm more of a casual <laughs> fan, but I do love Japanese wrestling. I've been to several wrestling shows, um, and I, I'm always eyeing virtual pro wrestling too. Every time I go to a retro retro store, I'm thinking like, should I just buy this game and then like rename all the characters uh, to modern wrestlers? <laughs> so that's always like a a, a dark temptation in the back of my mind. <laughs> nice. If I come over, we can go to an NJPW show or something. Totally, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I, I love this sort of like I, I think a, a prevailing, you know, theme of of Japanese culture for, for me from the outside looking in is just this idea of like, yeah, everybody is passionate about something. Yes. And rather than like stifling it, like I feel like there's a inclination for American culture to do, Japan says here is a place for that passion. You know, like here is a place that you can, you know, en- engage with that passion. Yeah. And maybe that's just what I'm seeing. But I always I always had the sense that gaming was more at least mainstream in Japan because it still feels a little despite there being a billion gamers on the planet. There's something about American culture that still makes gaming feel somewhat niche. Hmm. And I always I always just thought of gaming as feeling more mainstream in Japan. Would you say that's true or is that just of a, a, uh, a factor of them, you know, allowing that subculture to thrive in the way you're talking about? I think it's maybe a mix of both where, especially since Japan is so compact and, you know, everyone's living, you know, together, it's more communal that these sort of subcultures can kind of thrive because it's easier to connect and reach people who are into your hobby. Uh, for mm-hmm. example, if you're into gaming in Tokyo, you know, there's, like I said before, there's many places I could walk to that are, you know, gaming related. Uh, if you live in America, like in a, a small town and you're really into JRPGs, I don't know who, who is the closest person who is into JRPGs. They might not be, you know, in walking distance, for example. Uh, but I think Japan has avenues where these subcultures kind of thrive um, in terms of both maybe online communities and also kind of making physical spaces for people to go to, especially a lot of events. Uh, and like I mentioned before, like these whole cultures, they're kind of a bit hidden. One thing I kind of noticed is that uh, baseball is hugely popular in Japan, but I don't, yeah. mm-hmm. I don't often see people like walking around in Tokyo wearing like Yomi Uri Giants hats or Yakult Swallows hats. Uh, that's kind of rare, but if you go to a baseball game, everyone is decked out yeah. like head to toe and like their <laughs> yeah. uniforms, they've got towels, they've got their, like their bats they hit together. Um, and that's kind of the same in terms of gaming as well. Like if you're walking around the streets, you probably won't see, you know, a lot of gaming merch, uh, but every now and then you do, like, it's kind of funny where, you know, you'll see somebody in there, they'll have something like really obscure on their bag, especially Pokemon. Like, uh, you see so many weird Pokemon plushy keychains just randomly, which is a lot of fun. <laughs> like I've seen like a Chingling plushy keychain on somebody's bag. Oh, that's oh, nice. Wow. nice. That's like, nice. It's like, well, who who likes Chingling? I would have never imagined somebody's, somebody's favorite. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what I really love is uh, Substitute 
I've seen a few substitute oh, plushies. Yeah. Oh wow, and, yeah, 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 yeah. And I have one myself as well. And this is not even this is not even a Pokemon. It's a like uh, imitation of a Pokemon. Yeah, it's a move. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it's like, oh, <laughs> in Tokyo, you can see somebody walking around with a plushie of a move from Pokemon on their bag. So sometimes they can can kind of poke out where it's like, okay, there's definitely a lot of hardcore gamers every now and then that you might bump into. Uh, but of course, if you go to like Akihabara or these gaming events like Tokyo Game Show, oh yeah, then you'll yeah. come across them. Uh, I went to Tokyo Game Show last year, for example, and it was really nice. funny because in the and I was in line to play uh, Sonic Frontiers, and in the Sonic Frontiers lines, it's very very funny. It's like people in their Sonic shirts, people with their Sonic backpacks, they've got their Sonic plushies, and it's just like okay, this is their they're coming here to play Sonic, and so I can kind of feel yeah. their enthusiasm. And that kind of stuff is infectious. So I really love it yeah. in terms of that's really what Japan is great is that there's a lot of people who are passionate about gaming and subcultures. They might not show it on the surface. Uh, it might not pop into everyday everyday conversation. But once you flip that switch, it's they go all in, which is really great. Well, we definitely appreciate when people do that. That's right. It's right there in the name. I, I love it. Uh, I, I really appreciate you um, and, and your insight. And uh, the, the podcast is fantastic. Also, I want to point people to your website, TokyoGameLife.com, which um, in addition to being a hub for all of the episodes of your podcast and having contact information and things like that. Um, it's also got a really great sort of breakdown of some travel guide recommendations. And um, it looks like you're you're kind of like putting things up there that are even kind of specific for some of those subcultures. You've got a Tokyo travel guide for Kirby fans yes. even um, <laughs> on the website. That's so amazing. Uh, really, really cool. I, I recommend, you know, the, the various facets of Tokyo game life. I think I, it's, it's impressive what you've been able to to put together here. Yeah. My website is like the hub. If you want to find the podcast episodes, you can go to the tokyogamelife.com. That's where all the episodes are. And also, of course, on your podcast app, you can just search for Tokyo Game Life and find it easily. But the website is quite useful in terms of, okay, I want to find these Zelda episodes. You can just search for Zelda and then find those. And I do have some blog posts as well. Of course, a fellow podcaster, you know, the hardest thing to do is, you know, marketing a podcast. Uh, and so yeah. I try to make some blog posts, you know, maybe catch some SEO every now and then. I haven't done a whole <laughs> lot, but I did the one for Kirby fans uh, because, yeah, like I said before, Tokyo, believe it or not, you can make a whole there's a whole article's worth of places to visit in Tokyo as a Kirby fan. Uh, I so, believe it. Mm -hmm. And I think the my most popular one is called Gaming Guide to Tokyo, where I have a list of currently it's 60 places to visit in Tokyo that are gaming related. And uh, it's just Broken down, it has the the map, the address of where it is, a picture of like what it is, and then if I have a podcast episode about it, I do link the podcast episode there as well. Uh, for example, one place I went to recently, which is really awesome, is called Hashi, or it's written as Eight Four Hashi. Great episode, yeah, I loved that episode. Listeners, if you don't know what this is, it is a kind of hidden Nintendo cafe run by somebody who used to work at Nintendo. Uh, his name mm -hmm. is Toru Hashimoto. And by work at Nintendo, I mean he is a pivotal person in Nintendo's an history. An OG. Yes, he's an OG. Yeah. <laughs> he joined in 1984, the same time as Takashi Tezuka, the same time as Koji Kondo. And those are like his buddies. Uh, they're that close. <laughs> and so he made this, a few years ago, he made this cafe. And originally, it was only for people in the gaming industry. So you, it was invite only. Uh, you couldn't just pop in and you know order something. And so... Since you know he worked in the gaming industry for decades, 
he's got quite a network of people and they often give him uh like signatures and artwork that is really one of a kind that you won't find anywhere else uh for oh, example that's so cool for example there's there's a, a picture from Miyamoto uh, uh, like art of Mario from Miyamoto made out to like uh, Mr. Hashimoto and so it's like this picture of like Mario eating at the cafe and it, says, <laughs> it says Super Mario 84 on the top because the cafe is called 84 uh so it has a ton of like one of a kind things you won't find anywhere else and originally it was invite only only people in the gaming industry could go but recently recently he's opened it up to the public so anybody can go with a reservation and um you go inside and you can meet him and talk to him and see all these amazing things but the address is still secret like you can't find it on google maps uh when you make a reservation he sends you the address and he's like don't don't tell anybody don't share. Yes. And <laughs> I love that's, that. That's amazing. Yeah. So uh, that's, I did a recent episode about that cafe because I was uh, invited there to actually write an article for Nintendo Life. And so I got to go in kind of just by myself and talk to him. Uh, so I kind of explained my I guess, adventures at that cafe in an episode. Uh, so, yeah, that's just an example of some kind of stuff that's on the podcast. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's great. I've been, I've been a fan ever since, um, it was sort of introduced to me and, uh, and, and it's, it's really good. Of course, there'll be links in the, uh, show notes to, uh, to follow Mono, to follow Tokyo Game Life and to check the podcast out for yourself. It comes highly, highly recommended. Uh, thank you so much again for, for your yeah. time and, and, and your insight. We really appreciate it. It was a total treat and, um, we'll roll out the red carpet one last time for Mono. Yay! <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate being here. Well, that was a great chat with Mono from Tokyo Game Life. Had a had a really good time talking with him. Thanks yeah. again to uh, to Mono for for coming through and giving us um, his his time and an insight to uh, to life in Japan and the Pikmin sweep, the Pikmin Four sweep. Yeah, that was genuinely really interesting. Like we don't see any of that stuff here in the West at all. So it was so cool hearing about, uh, you know, so many parts of Nintendo's marketing and like even kind of the Nintendo lifestyle that we just don't see ever here being in the West. But uh, yeah, make sure to give Mono a follow. Make sure to check out everything he's doing at his podcast, Tokyo Game Life. Make sure to uh, follow him on Twitter and, and all the socials and everything. You'll find links to all that in the episode description. So make sure to show him a ton of love also make sure to sh- i mean if you haven't shown us some love i mean yeah, i think you should do that do that give us a follow <laughs> yeah all in at all in podcast on facebook on twitter make sure to like and follow our youtube channel youtube.com slash all in podcast where we will we promise to be back next week with uh, a brand new well as long as they give us something to talk about we promise to be back at youtube.com slash all in podcast with a brand new news breakdown next friday the same way we do every friday at 7 p.m eastern uh, 4 p.m pacific uh but in addition to that we've got some more videos coming next now we got a ton of content coming your guys way in the next week and we even have brand new content we even find time to create exclusive content seth for our patrons we do yeah patreon.com slash all in podcast there's exclusive content that goes up there every single week two exclusive podcasts like all in side quest and the two dollar hero cast uh thanks again to fulia for joining in at the free trial for the golden banana tier really appreciate you yeah. for doing that 
you can hop over there too and check out uh, everything we do for, on Patreon completely for free for seven days. And I think you'll agree that for two guys, we we do uh, some good work, hopefully. And uh, if you don't have any bones to throw away, that's okay too. You can drop <laughs> us a five-star review, drop some words on Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, and Audible, or a five-star rating on Spotify. Those are very free, very appreciated. Help us climb the ranks of the Nintendo podcasts out there. Yes, huge thank you again to uh, the person who did leave that anonymous five-star review. Uh, but yes, a huge, huge thank, huge thank you to that person. Huge thank you to the Hall of Legends that is our patrons. A huge thank you to everybody who has dropped words. And a huge thank you to everybody who has even just shared our content somewhere, somehow across this vast internet. To all of you, I would like to say, Namaste. Namaste. Another one down, my friend. Good episode this week, of course, celebrating uh, the launch of, of Stephanie and, and I guess Pikmin 4 as well. I guess. And I guess Pikmin 4. <laughs> yeah, dude, it's like, it's just such a big weekend. You got yeah. Barbie and Oppenheimer, you got Pikmin 4 and, and Stephanie. And of course, you know, for me, by the time you guys are listening to this, I'm probably currently IRL in Orlando enjoying the Nintendo uh, road tour. Oh, the yeah. The road trip that they're doing leading up to Nintendo Live in September. They're making a stop this weekend uh, as this episode is going live. Yeah, yeah, I absolutely will. Definitely make sure to, uh, I'll probably take a few photos for the Twitter. So make sure to, uh, I mean, that's another reason to follow us on Twitter. So make sure to be on the lookout for that. Uh, our Facebook and our Twitter uh, this weekend. Uh, I know you're probably going to see Barbie, Seth. I'm actually going to see Oppenheimer with my father. Busy weekend for both of us. And we've got, I mean, we're, we got to finish. We've played Stephanie, but now we've got to play Pikmin, Pikmin 4. Is out. We've got Disney Illusion Island coming out next week, and it just never stops. It's wonderful. Mm-hmm. I never want to get off this train ride, but it does never stop. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Got to get to Pikmin 4, man. Got to get to Pikmin 4. It's time. It's time. We got to <laughs> say goodnight. <laughs> We do, and we will have a review for you guys sometime in the near future. We will let you know when, but regardless, we will have another brand new all-in for you next Saturday. Until then, I have been everybody, one, two, Eric. And I have been Sethany. We will catch you guys next week. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you then. Bye. Bye.